Johnny. Something in Japanese. This is episode six, favorite animated film, Princess Mononoke and Prince of Egypt. Okay, this is episode six, um, animation, your favorite animation movie. Um, this is your category. Um, <laughs> I had a quite a short list of movies to put on it. I'm, it's, uh, I'm happy with my, my choice. There were, it wasn't just one I had to pick from, but I would say that it was like a handful of movies. Uh, it was not a difficult narrowing down process. So this yeah. is something that not just you've continued to enjoy, but something that you've been, um, interested in and more of a fan of than I have for a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and the thing I, I kind of like about this one that we'll maybe be able to get into is like, um, I think a lot of people um, confuse or conflate uh, like animated film with a kid's movie. And I think the two that we picked um, kind of highlight that animation isn't always solely just for uh, kids movies. You can actually tell like a very adult stories um, and animation is just a way to just express the art differently. Yeah, we'll get into the the movies in a bit. I do think the ones we've picked are like in a weird way, sort of um, good partners. Um, mm-hmm. Both are from around the same same time period. But you're right about how people um, and myself included. I always felt too old, and I think I said this in the Snow White one. I always felt a bit too old for cartoons. Um, yeah, and I guess car- even calling them cartoons is a little bit like derogatory to it because it like is, and we we'll get into this it's like definitely an art form and it's like it takes mm-hmm. quite a lot of talent and thought and you can do a lot um cooler stuff with the animation than you can in uh like with real people which i guess is, is sort of the point but uh i think it speaks pretty clearly about my view of animation that my favorite animated show is king of the hill um which mm-hmm. could not be more of a regular boring sort of sitcom type thing like there's almost nothing about it that lends itself to animation other than that's just how they they did it yeah that's something that i've ever been no, moved by uh, i'm glad you, you you kind of brought that up because um when i was when i was thinking about what movie i wanted to to do for this one i mean there were so many kind of obvious ones that just jumped right to my head like you know, Lion King or, or Toy Story. So those like early classic Disney movies, mm-hmm. but I feel like we sort of, sort of covered, covered at least a good portion of that when we were talking about Snow White in that, in that first episode. And then also I was saying to this before, and I'll say it again, now that we're recording, um, this was also just <laughs> kind of my sneaky way to get you to, to watch an anime. Cause I can't imagine um, when the last time uh, you would have watched an anime in any capacity or an anime even like liked this one. Never. This is really yeah, the first no. time. Um, yeah, I didn't like, even watch like the Pokemon um, TV show. I didn't watch like any like, of it. Yeah, not even like Yu-Gi-Oh or anything like that. When nope, that was a huge thing. nothing. Well, like, see, this is that's the thing. So I want you to actually be like really honest because I'm, I'm like, I'm actually like genuinely curious because like I, like I know people who like anime and I could talk about Princess Mononoke for a long time and we could go on and on about how much we love it and why Studio Ghibli is awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious for someone like you who doesn't who's not really as into it um, i just want to get your take because for me um with when it comes to anime and japanese animation you're right when it like king of the hill is kind of a perfect example um for, as far as like mature animation it's usually kind of reserved um 
to comedies and sitcoms for like Western culture, like like Family Guy or The Simpsons or Rick and Morty. Um, whereas in Japanese culture, they still will do like a dramatic, mature uh, television show or movie, but use the sort of anime animation style. So that's why I thought this one, I was kind of excited about this one because it would just kind of offer an opportunity for me to to talk about uh, not just Princess Mononoke, but Studio Ghibli and, and why I really enjoy not all, but most of their films and uh, and then get your take on it as someone who isn't as familiar because I think Studio Ghibli is uh, is a good place for people who are like just interested or just getting into uh, watching those kind of movies. Well, it's funny because I think like animation just in general, like walks sort of a fine line. Like you're right that um, I think it's interesting. Neither of us picked a Pixar movie. Um, yeah. But I think yeah. what's so good about those movies and we're, we do plan on talking about this is that they're, they're fun for the whole family. I guess is the only way I can really put it. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, like there's nice. a lot of stuff in there um, that's, like homages to stuff or jokes that are like obviously for the parents that are there with the kids or even if it's just like somebody doing an impersonation like the genie in Aladdin does like a a Bob Hope impression and like that's a little bit above my head but I was the kid watching the movie my parents would have understood that and like known what he was doing and um, that's like that stuff like that like it's like as a parent that has to sit through some of these movies it's obviously makes them enjoyable if there's something that you can pull out of it too you put them on yeah, for your for sure. kid obviously anyway but like it's if you can sit there and watch it with them and laugh along with certain points like i think pixar has a really good blend of that but as far as like mature cartoons go like it is funny that you mentioned like the simpsons and family guy and south park the thing about that is that they're like not for children and i think some of the like mm-hmm. more conservative knocks on them is that like you're dealing with this like pretty rude in some cases material, but you're advertising it like it's for kids. Like I know if it, Vivian's ever walked in on Anita and I like watching Rick and Morty, we don't like run to shut off the computer, but there's obviously stuff in there. We don't really want her like watching, you know, like but it is funny that it's presented in this, like that one has to be a cartoon, but things like the Simpsons and family guy, like had they done, real people it would have limited them on some of the crazy stunts and stuff they could pull off yeah. in it. but i don't know that the story is like terribly different but just because it's bright colors and cartoons it's interesting to kids and like people will get into family guy and south park um way earlier than they maybe be should just because they're mm. they look like something for for children and, and i think that's maybe part of the conceit of it and they steer into that it's like uh, the stuff they're going to deal with, but it just is so um, like bifurcated where it's like, it's only for kids or it's ironically only for adults. And there doesn't seem to be a ton of things in the middle that like comfortably walk that line of like, it's good for, for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And I think both the movies we picked um, regardless of feelings about them, <laughs> uh, do, like, <laughs> walk, do walk that, that line. Like there is something for, for everybody um, in both. Well, what I like, um, what I like about both of these movies is, um, it's yeah, it's kind of just like you said. It 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 has something for adults and it has something for kids, but it's not so, I guess, obvious. I mean, it, it's much more subtle. Like you'll watch like a like Shrek or something like that, and then there's just kind of obvious innuendos that are obviously for adults, and then there are obvious 
you know, set pieces and obvious jokes or something like that that are for the kids. Whereas, yeah, in the Prince of Egypt and, and Princess Mon- and Princess Mononoke, um, the stories just themselves, they're very mature, but they're told in a way that um, that you can kind of glean whatever you want, whether or not you're a kid or, or an adult. Yeah, Prince of Egypt is the greatest story ever told. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so to some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and that that one is much more of a traditional. Well, I, this is the dumbest thing I've ever said. That one's much more of a traditional American movie where Princess Mononoke <laughs> is clearly not a yeah, traditional American movie, yeah. being that it's from Japan. Really? Um, but I was just listening to um, this podcast that the ringer does called the rewatchables. And the one that they just had on there was uh, a toy story. And they said like, um, it's really interesting that they have like, obviously Randy Newman does the the soundtrack. Um, not only just like the, you have a friend in me song, but it was Buzz Lightyear's trying to fly out the window when he's realizing he's a toy and it's yeah. like, uh, never go sailing again or away or something like that. Um, so there's music in the movie, but they made like a conscious decision when they were making that movie that they said, we don't want it to be a musical because what happens with a lot of kids movies is they turn them into musicals and it like, I don't know, not cheapens, but it definitely puts it in a certain like maturity. hundred um, percent. I totally and agree. And uh, if I can just interrupt, like that's that's exactly one of the biggest points that I think differentiates um, Princess Mononoke from other sort of American uh, animated films. And yeah, I want to I want to go back to that later on um, as we get as we dig deeper into it. Just looking at the titles, I this is the first time I'm realizing that we did the Prince of Egypt and then Princess Mononoke. I had no yeah, idea when I was saying I both the name, when I was, <laughs> when I was saying both the titles, I was like, wait, did I mispronounce Prince of Egypt? Like confusing it with Mononoke, but yeah. no, yeah, they're both prince and princesses. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that. Um so again, you're you're the animation um I don't know, not yeah. expert, but like definitely the one who's more comfortable um talking about this kind of thing. So um, yeah, for sure. And and I've come around. There's things that I like, and there's things that I liked revisiting with with Vivian. Um, but I would say up until the last like two years, um, it had been a long time since I'd ever taken like. I don't know that I ever even went to go see a Pixar movie in theaters. Um, yeah, I would watch some of them, but I would never have paid for it. <laughs> I guess and like, but <laughs> and, and then that's I guess sort of a knock on me rather than them because that's like one of the most prestigious high quality animation studios. It's like the whole reason there's an animated section in the Oscars. It's not that right. like the quality is low. It's just it's like never something that I um, got excited about. Well, I guess that's where we can maybe we can just kind of get into Princess Mononoke. Yeah, like I can. Um, I, I have lots to say about it, but. I, I'll ask you just right at the gate, like, what was what? And be, <laughs> even though I'm saying that this is apparently my favorite animated film, it's it's not. I don't know if it's my favorite one, but it's definitely like one of my. It's it's one of my favorite out of the studio, and so that's kind of why I chose it because I can talk about the movie and the studio. But, um, I, but just your full honest opinion. I'm just curious on uh, on what you, what you thought of uh, Princess Mononoke. So this is like half a joke, but when I was gonna do my <laughs> list of things I liked. It was going to be, um, it's beautiful. Um, the animation is really cool. Uh, end of list. (laughs) 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 So I did have a thought watching it. I knew it was, um, Japanese and I expected when you sent it to me that I would be reading with subtitles. And then I was kind of like, this sounds really fucking pretentious and it's not something that I do a lot, 
primarily for this reason, but um, if I've ever tried to read a Russian novel translated into English, um, it's really hard because they don't change the names. So like you'll yeah. still have like um, Vladimir Matyushenko or whatever is like the guy's yeah. name and then the rest of it's in English and it's like there's Alexei and Alexandri and all of these names. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck is who. Like I have no, yeah. I can't, I wish they just like called them like Alex and Steve for the translation because I would have been able to keep <laughs> right. that straight. So I had the Wikipedia page open to Princess Mononoke alongside the movie because it was like yeah how'd you do with ashitaka and eboshi (laughs) the the names were were okay actually that wasn't the biggest problem for the for the main ones anyway the like the side characters a little bit more difficult but yeah um, i had it open and i was reading it and it was like um ashitaka voiced by japanese guy and billy crudup (laughs) in the american one so i'm like 20 minutes into this movie and i was like should i just stop and get the english one like do you think that's going to make me enjoy it more um well, and I, I didn't uh, actually, i continued that's actually um like if you that's like a big dis- like talking point for a lot of anime fans is this debate over what's better dubs versus subs um mm-hmm. you'll hear a lot of anime purists like poo poo the idea of watching something dubbed that you want to see it in the sort of the original format that it was um it was it was done there are some animes that actually where the dub is in a lot of people's opinions superior to the subs cowboy bebop is one for anyone listening who knows anime probably knows what i'm talking about with that one um but uh with studio ghibli in particular um it yeah it sucks that you don't have access to netflix on canada because they're all they're all on there right now um, and actually Disney, I think, was the one that was responsible for doing a lot of the dubs for Studio Ghibli. And they were very heavily yeah. supervised by the studio. So, um, yeah, I think if, if you want to go like the purest route, you would watch it with the subtitles. But uh, if you can find a copy with the uh, with the American version, um, it's uh, it might that might make it a little bit more. I don't know, digestible for you. <laughs> and I did, I did finish it with the subtitles and it's funny you say dubs versus subs. I guess that's a thing I had no idea about because I had yeah. messaged my friend yesterday and I said, I, I watched it cause I know it's one she likes a lot also. Um, and I just said like, I had a hard time with the, the subtitles. Um, and she said that exact same phrasing dubs versus or dub subs over dubs or whatever her twist on yeah. it was, but it was the same short form. And, um, yeah. I don't know. I just like reading up on the history of the movie when they did bring it over to America to like try to, I guess when they put it in art house theaters the first time around and they didn't dub it, they just put it up with subtitles. It like did actually surprisingly well. It didn't have a big theatrical release, but it did like fairly well um, just in, uh, you know, just putting it up in like the little like screening rooms and everything around the countries. And um then it was so popular that that's when like i think miramax bought it and um, miramax bought it i didn't know that i think that i think disney's involved now but i think miramax was the one that brought yeah no right. okay over because uh there's this story about like them wanting to dub it um neil gaiman's like a some sort of fiction author he's i recognize the name i don't really know what he's done but uh he wrote the script for the english version um, and then they brought it in and they had like Billy Crudup was doing the voice, Claire Danes, uh, Mini Driver. So it's like big names uh, or not, I guess not huge names, a bit, but big enough names. And uh, even in the their recording, they're going off script. So I think they had to like, I think they fixed it, but they had to go back and like revise it. So it was like as true to the original as possible. So you can see even some of the problems with like the translation there. And yeah. the thing that is like, 
you never want to be relating to Harvey Weinstein, but I guess at one point, at one point he uh, was like going to cut it up. Like he was, or not cut it up, but he was going to cut it and make it shorter. And one oh, of the producers wow. sent him like a katana engraved with the words, no cuts on it. Cause it's like the one of the studio oh. Ghibli's, one of the studio Ghibli's policies is like, uh, you don't cut the movies. Like they're made the way they are. If you want to dub them, that's yeah. fine. We, we made a deal, but you're not actually changing the, um, the visual of the film. Um, and I couldn't believe how fucking long this movie felt at times. And maybe it would have, and not again, it's not even that it was bad. It just was like, um, maybe it was the, even the speaking parts and the action parts felt long because you're reading it. So then when there is these like establishing shots of the forest and all of this stuff going on, um, those felt extra long. Um, cause you, you're not even reading at that point. You're just like taking it in. Um, ironically, that might've been the most enjoyable part of it was like, um, the, I was impressed with the first, like, not shot. I don't know what you call it in animation, but the first, the first yeah, scene where it's like the, the mountain, they have the mountains and the fog is rolling in over the mountains. Like, um, that was like amazing um and they do a lot of that stuff where they establish like this is the forest this is where they are and uh it's pretty sweeping but because they spend so much time it's like and it's lovingly looking over the japanese like countryside it's it's slow like you could cut that to like a two second establishing shot and obviously you're missing something but like you probably could have shaved 15 minutes off of it yeah well that i think yeah there's a there's a couple things i wanted to touch on that you said there first of all like i it's i've always just been when you've mentioned before that uh that you're not you're not big on on subtitles which surprises me because you're like one of the most well-read people i've ever known so <laughs> that that surprises me that in, in the in the not not in a weird way just like i'm just like oh okay i guess your subtitles are maybe not your thing um but one of the things that you said um yeah the, the film kind of feels slow and i think that's going back to something that we we were talking about just a second earlier. Um, one of the main differences, I think, between um, uh, the animated movies that come out of Japan, like this one, uh, compared to some of the more popular animated movies that come out of America, like out of Pixar or DreamWorks. Um, you're right. I, I think they do, there is a definite sort of change in, in pace. Uh, and I, I personally, I kind of like that because for me, the, the Japanese movies, they're not afraid to like kind of take a minute and let the movie sort of have a beat and be okay with kind of a scene that's sort of quiet and and whereas like if you a lot of animated movies that come out uh, in America like yeah they're geared towards more kids they kind of have to be a little bit more engaging but you know the moments where you know a Studio Ghibli movie will take a second to kind of take a breath um, you know, a movie that comes out of DreamWorks or something like that well, it might cut to some like, uh, like a fart joke or something or a Justin Timberlake song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, I, I get it because maybe those films are maybe more geared towards children. But that, I kind of appreciate it makes you kind of appreciate sort of like the slower burn of, uh, of Mononoke. And that's that's kind of like the next question I wanted to ask you is like uh, you kind of answered it, I guess, is like, did you feel like when you were watching it, like it kind of it kind of kept a sort of certain, I guess, pace and vibe to it. Whereas like a lot of animated movies, there's like really exciting scenes and then scenes to kind of like the word, it's just like maybe some exposition or something. And then some really, really exciting scenes. Whereas for me, like these Studio Ghibli films, it's much more of like kind of an even keel pace throughout the whole runtime. 
Did you did yeah. you feel that or am I just making things up? No, the the answer is like it's yes and no. Um Yeah. I know what you mean. And um, one thing that I do, especially now that I'm teaching grade five is we do a lot of like um, to try to establish for the kids how to like do like a plot pyramid for a story. Um, Part of the problem with those like plot pyramids where you're like mapping out where the like uh, conflict is rising action, the climax, all that stuff is like, it's kind of, it's even for kids that age, it's too cookie cutter. Like a lot of stories have a twist ending. So the climax is like the last thing that happens. And then where do you mm-hmm. fill in the falling action and the resolution? Like there isn't any, and it's like, you have to teach it to them. It's terms they need to know. Generally they apply, but it like makes you think like a story can only work one way. Um, and mm-hmm. one way that we, I try to communicate that is we do uh, storyboards, which is like what they do for all movies in, in general, but like particularly for animation movies, it's like it, all you're doing with an animation movie is you're making a storyboard move. Um, it's mm-hmm. like so much more close to the storyboards than like a film is close to the, the um, or like a live action film is, is close to yeah. the storyboards. And um, one thing about this was like those, um, it starts out with a bang like that uh like when it nobo no noro the bear the boar god yeah <laughs> nago yeah um, <laughs> yeah when he comes out of the forest covered in worms you're like three minutes into the story like yeah, that's the yeah. first thing is he's riding on his horse and he hears the the um the noises in the forest and then that like thing pops out of the the trees and so you're um one of the notes i made about prince of egypt is it gets right into it um, and I watched that one before I watched Princess Mononoke and I had to go and revise that note because Princess Mononoke gets right into it. Like you are like, <laughs> yeah. you have like the an introduction to the main villain before you even get to know this guy's name, you know, like he's yeah. riding around on the horse. You don't know who he is. You don't know what his role is. All of that's explained later, but he's already been um, corrupted and already killed the, the, the bear or I keep saying bear, the boar. The um, boar, yeah. Yeah, so uh, their like peaks and valleys are. Uh, it's funny you say even keeled because I guess if you were to look at it on the long term, it would look even because there'd be like moderate rise and falls throughout the whole thing. But I taking the same point, but looking at it a bit differently, it was like you never really knew where the excitement was going to come. Like you never knew like he shows up at Irontown and you never know, um, you didn't know whether they're going to be welcoming or not, you know, and then all the, he goes in and all the women are just like crazy about it. And, um, right. But without knowing anything about the movie, like that would have been a scene for conflict, something like called Irontown. Um, I got like real Isengard vibes watching <laughs> that, that town, like all of the smelting and it's a lot of the same themes about like the destruction of nature, but um, yeah, and sure. this is something I imagine you're going to get into way more detail about. It's a lot more like nuanced and balanced and like um, gray and equitable to the characters destroying it. But like mm-hmm. that's like the supervillain's fortress in any other um, cartoon. Yeah, well, and that's I, I like the comparison that you made to Lord of the Rings, and that's part of the reason why I chose this one in particular because, like, yeah, I, I wanted I kind of wanted you to watch an anime just out of my own morbid curiosity uh, and i felt like this one was probably um the one that you would maybe enjoy the most because it's out of all the movies that studio ghibli makes to me this one is sort of the most uh direct and has sort of more the clearest plot but also 
um, it, it yeah, it, it's it has very um, similar tones to like the Lord of the Rings. I, for whatever reason, Princess Mononoke reminds me so much of the Legend of Zelda. Like it's just mm-hmm. kind of this Japanese inspired sort of medieval fantasy. Um, and so it's funny that you bring up Lord of the Rings because I guess this is a good point for me to bring up a really interesting video that I saw uh, online and I've touched on it a number of times in previous episodes that we've talked about, but this idea of different ways of conveying your setting uh, in any kind of story, whether it's in books or movies. Um, and again, it's this, it's, I don't, it's, it's an interesting theory that this YouTuber, I forget what his name is, but uh, he brought up this idea of uh, hard versus soft world building. You've probably heard me say this a number of times uh, by this point. Um, and so there's, I think there's two really good examples, you know, the films out of Studio Ghibli, which sort of, he argues, lean towards this idea of soft world building and Lord of the Rings is kind of this perfect example of hard world building. Whereas in the Lord of the Rings, sort of the details of the of that world and of Middle Earth are all very intricately thought out. They all logically fit together. All the different cities and all the different cultures and characters and races all have these really complex histories and economies that all fit together perfectly well. And the way that that works and brings the viewer into the story is it lets it, it makes it easier for them to kind of visualize exactly what the author or the filmmaker is trying to get across. Whereas where in sort of a lot of Studio Ghibli films, a lot of that sort of a lot of that explanation and uh, ex- exposition it's not in it's not crucial to telling that story so it's kind of like you said there are certain you're kind of just thrown into um you're kind of just thrown into the movie and you just kind of have things sort of explained to you along the way sometimes things aren't even fully explained sometimes things just don't really happen even logically but that part of the fun of getting and excuse me sorry so the way that it immerses you into that sort of setting is you kind of bring your own sort of biases and your own sort of flavor and you kind of fill in the gaps on your own. And so it's the same effect. It's, it's, I liken it to when you hear a lot, you hear all the time when people uh, will compare a book and then the movie that it might be based on. And you always hear like assholes like me say, oh, you know, the book was better, the book was better. And I think a lot of that is because when you're reading a book, there's always that element of bringing your own visualization into it. And then when mm-hmm. you see the movie, it's obviously not going to be exactly the same. So I think that same kind of logic applies to this idea of, you know, soft world building is you can kind of, you can use your imagination a little bit to fill in the gaps a little bit. And um, instead of having just like everything explained to you and the way, and the benefit of that is then, you get to me, yeah, like it's sort of a more even keeled paced story because you don't have to spend all this time writing exposition dialogue for characters to make sure that you explain things for the audience in order for things to make sense. If, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, do you think that it would make more sense to Japanese people, like not the language, but like the, um, like the cultural references, like one thing I read about the, the director is he like purposely obscures his source material. Like it's obvious he's drawing yeah. from something and there's obviously a lot of like Japanese, like Shinto traditions and everything in this. And, mm-hmm. um, but none of them are like perfectly obvious. Like, it's not like he's like Prince of Egypt is literally telling the Exodus story. Um, yeah, yeah. that's like a direct ripoff. This is like taking like pieces from whatever, and the spirit might be this one. And they're like purposely obscured. But do you think that having yeah. like the 
the background in those things being from Japan, do you think that that soft world building is less soft because you would know some of the things? Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm probably the thing is, is like I, I'm not. I don't fully understand the, uh, the theory. Like I don't know it like in and out, so I don't know if I can explain like every single um, aspect to it. The thing that I kind of take away from that video though that I saw was this idea that. Uh, Studio Ghibli, they kind of they don't always shoot for um, a movie that has like this huge these huge stakes and this ultimate kind of payoff. Again, Princess Mononoke is kind of it, it's the one that has the most stakes. It's the one that has the sort of the clearest plot. But you know, one of my other favorite Studio Ghibli movies is um, is Kiki's Delivery Service, and basically the whole movie it, there's the the climax of the film is basically. Um, uh, is are very small when you compare it to other things. Like uh, it's hard. I could explain it right now, but it wouldn't make any sense. But basically, that movie is about this girl named Kiki, and just it kind of speaks to the experience. And the plot of that movie is she moves out of her parents' house and she tries to find sort of her place in in uh, in this in this new city in this new environment. So it's kind of a story that just sort of embodies what it feels like the first time you move out, and the first time you try and find a new job, and the first time you're trying to. Um, you know, make it on your own and, and figure out your niche. But then like this whole time I've been talking about this movie and I'm not even explaining the fact that it takes place in a world where there are witches and wizards <laughs> in the world and it just people, normal people are just kind of cool with it. It's just part of society, but it's never right. fully explained. So again, it, it, the payoff, it's not like it builds up to this huge climax and um, and there's this big satisfying conclusion. It's just, you kind of just watch it and you just sort of get, it just kind of, you kind of again you bring your own sort of experience of like the first time you moved out of your parents house and the first time you tried to make it on your own and you know you, you, when you start a job you you work super hard and then you burn out like this, these are all the things that happen in the you see this character kiki go through it um and so again yeah while it doesn't have this huge explosion at the end um you kind of walk away from it just kind of feeling satisfied because you sort of identify with the characters in in that regard that's like seeing her go about the journey i kind of like like a movie that came out a while ago, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first saw that, I didn't really like it. Uh, and I, I still haven't really gone back and rewatched it yet. But because I found, and I think a lot of other people found, I don't know if you did, it didn't really seem like it had like much of a plot. But I guess when you think about it, Tarantino didn't really go for that sort of um, that sort of storytelling method he just kind of wanted to give you like a slice of life of what it was like in that era like in sort of the manson era um yeah. and and so but i went into it thinking that it was going to be you know like a very sort of sort of deliberate plot and 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 like a, like a traditional movie so it'd be interesting for me to kind of go back and look at it from that perspective but that's that's kind of the, it's the same sort of thing with these studio ghibli movies you kind of have to watch them with a different expectation i find well, and pick whichever one you want, but based on what you're saying, like the um, Kiki's delivery service on its surface seems more childish, but like it sounds like you have to have had the experience that she has to fully enjoy it and or to fully yeah, like yeah. understand it and get it. And I guess one of the criticisms I had about this movie, I obviously there's things in it that um, lend itself like really well to maturity, especially with some of the characterization, but like, um, I found that 
even when I watched video like YouTube videos after just trying to understand it better, people kept saying like, Oh, like it's such a mature treatment and it's this like amazing way of telling this story. And the main message is that like the environment's good, <laughs> you know, like I don't yeah. think it was a particularly complex message that like no. technology is destroying. Like the Lorax did that in like 29 minutes. It was like the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. so well, I, I, I like thought that that one. was like, that was a disconnect for me is people telling me like, it's a very mature movie that deals with some really heavy themes about like the environment. And pretty much it was like, progress is bad for the earth. You shouldn't be like killing these things, protect the fort. Like it's like, it's, that's not real. It's a message that mature people still don't fully understand, but it's not exactly a mature message. Like that's hammered into you that's one of the first things you learn in science. Well, that's interesting that you, you took that you kind of, that's what you took away from it because to me um, it wasn't just what I liked about it was, yes, it was, there was a very kind of clear um, um, commentary on yeah. Environmentalism versus industrialization in princess Mononoke. Um, but what I like it so much about it is I think when they say it covers mature themes, because it, it doesn't, it doesn't really preach to you one way. It's it's not like a, what's the word? It's not like a it's not like a polemical uh, film. It's not. It doesn't give yeah. you an answer. It doesn't say one way or another. One way or another. It kind of just presents it the way I think how a lot of times um, there's that there's there's definitely two sides, but neither side is really good or bad. And that's what I really thought was interesting was at the it, it I think the film does kind of take it does lean one way. It kind of does lean towards you know you should you shouldn't uh the nature shouldn't be tampered with too much but it does do i think a good job of sort of initially setting up this this woman lady aboshi as the villain as sort of like the sort of this the, the vanguard of industrialization but then you find out that she's actually this really very virtuous character and takes mm-hmm. in the sick and gives them jobs and you know is represents females really well gives them all jobs which like sort of references like rosie the riveter you know back in world war ii um, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't really give you an answer one way or another and say, you know, if you side with Lady Eboshi and, and her, um, her point of view, then you're, then you're a bad person. And like, I can, when I first saw this movie immediately, I just compared it to Pocahontas cause it's kind of the same, kind of the same sort of like nature, but it's the same sort of message on environmentalism, but in Pocahontas, sort of that delineation between the protagonist and the antagonist is I think a little bit more clear, um, you know, Pocahontas is obviously the good guy and whoever the name of the bad guy is in that one who wants to kind of um, invade, they're the bad guys. But in Mononoke, it's a lot more sort of nuanced. It's, it's much more muddy. You know, there's bad things about both of them, but there's you know a lot of good things about both sides. And yeah, and at the end of the day, group too. exactly. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think it shows that sort of the the real kind of antagonist is like you see the like you said at the beginning the the boar the boar god sort of slowly transforming into that demon has like these worms snake like tentacles coming out of it and that that's kind of the manifestation of uh, the movie uh, says it's the manifestation of hate so to me it's kind of just like it's it's the bad guy at the end of the day is you know these two people who can't really come to understand each other's point of view and or like more of it's like a refusal to understand the other side and it just that just breeds antagonism. And I, I think that's, that's important. It's, it's, you know, super relevant even to today, you know, we, we always are able to tie in 
American politics into these conversations. But I mean, there's two very, you know, clear differences in ideologies and, you know, it just, it becomes uh, this, this never ending kind of back and forth. One of the things that speaks to that point, but I found quite annoying in the movie is, uh, yeah. um, and now I can't remember his name. Um, the main guy. Ashitaka. Yeah. He is like running around trying to help whoever and like would get cured and all that. Um, and then he'll like pop up and like talk to Iboshi and say this, and then they'll be like, don't listen to him. He's not on our side. And then he goes into the forest and he's like telling the boar not to charge. And the boar's like, don't listen to him. He's not on our side. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, there's like, he's kind of playing both. And I guess the maturity comes from the fact that there's gotta be some sort of balance. Like there's nothing wrong with harvesting the iron in itself, except that they're like clear cutting to get it done or that they're using like, I guess the clearest um, sign of evil is like the um, the new technology. Like they have those like fire lances, like the dragon guns, yeah. and uh, Iboshi's got her like her gun that she shoots off the Nightwalker's head there at the end. Like the technology itself is maybe like the bad, violent stuff. Like when they're kicking that, uh, um, like the the bombs down the hill to blow up the boars, like it ended up not being the most violent part of the film. There was a lot of like actually strange violence where like his like super strength arm can like just clip the head off one of the the riders. I did not expect that um, when I saw that, but like the technology is like, that's the problem. It's not, it's like the the people aren't necessarily aligned with the technology. It's just the thing that they're, they're doing. Um, So I guess that's the, the balance is where the maturity comes in i just thought like my takeaway from it wasn't just that like the earth is good we should protect the earth but like that does seem to be sort of what they're aiming for and maybe it's a little bit more nuanced than the lorax or whatever but i just like i don't like being told something's mature and then not seeing the maturity because like in the worst case you're stupid and you're just missing this huge thing and in the best best case like everybody is wrong which is very unlikely um you know it just was like i want like i watched a new york times thing like ao scott talking about princess mononoke and he just kept saying like it's a lesson we need to teach our children the earth is good we need to protect the earth and i was like that's really so simplistic I, I, like i think that's a really simplistic interpretation of it yeah in my opinion yeah it was like a two-minute uh, but video, it, so maybe yeah, I mean, but that's the thing, though. That's I think you will kind of go, you will kind of go one way or the other based on your personal, um, your own personal biases and beliefs. Um, you know, if you if you're already someone who's sort of on the side of environmentalism and you and you think that that's that that should take precedence over industrialization, or if you're someone who thinks you know progress is necessary and as long as it's done properly, that's okay, then you, you'll have different you'll have differing opinions on on the movie and who the real bad guy is and i i think mm-hmm. whenever a film can do that and it's not so clear i i think that's really cool and i think i think the film not just princess mononoke but a lot of studio ghibli movies kind of operate in that space where they don't they don't give you a clear answer they might have a certain leaning one way um but they leave it open for for you to make your own interpretation um and just going to the whole mature thing like I don't know. This movie came out what 1997. 1997. So 
yeah, I, I, I wasn't, uh, I was only five years old when it came out. So I can't really speak to whether or not um, this was marketed to kids or if it was marketed to adults when it came to America. But mm-hmm. I mean, there are some, <laughs> have you ever gone back and watched like some of those old Disney movies and you rewatch them and you're like, man, like some of this stuff is really dark. Like, I don't know if the, I don't know if this is like messes up a kid like subconsciously or something, but um, like if you, like some of those old Disney cartoons, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I just think the first thing that popped in my head, I know this isn't a cartoon, but it was like some sort of animation. E.T. scared the shit out of me. Like, I didn't think yeah. it was like cute or anything like that. Like, it's like a pretty horrifying alien uh, in its own way. <laughs> yeah. No, like, so I think like this movie kind of falls into that category where you, you watch it as a kid and then you go back and watch it. You're like, oh my gosh, like, this is like, this is, it's like when you go back and watch one of those old Disney movies, like, oh man, there's no way they'd be able to make this movie today. It's way too racist or it's way too disturbing. Like, mm-hmm. and this is one of those movies I think falls in that space. Like we talked about um, those boars kind of sort of violently turning into these demons with these like worms that are coming out of them because there's so much hatred in them. And but like the scene at the end where uh, the character um, Okoto, who's sort of like the, the boar god of the forest, he gets corrupted and is slowly kind of turning into this demon against his will and at the same mm-hmm. time still kind of like deliriously spouting off his doctrine and trying to you know lead everybody into battle and like deliriously charging into you know what is into the enemy um that kind of stuff has always been i don't know like you, you know the director david cronenberg uh i know the cronenbergs from rick and morty <laughs> okay yeah. so I mean. david cronenberg david cronenberg is a director who's like notorious for inventing the genre of horror called body horror and it's basically like for me like that kind of that brand of horror has always been the most one of the more disturbing ones for me this the idea of people kind of transforming into something against their will like pinocchio is a good example of that too have you i don't know if, if you remember pinocchio but there's a scene where um uh these like carnival act boys like really like violently start turning into donkeys it's like again it's like it's a cartoon but you go back and watch it as an adult and you're like oh my god like this would scar any kid and i think that this movie kind of operates in that space as well so I, again like i i wouldn't show this i probably wouldn't feel comfortable showing this to a super young kid but uh, you uh, there are like you said yeah like heads are getting decapitated arms are getting deta- de- decapitated like it it's not afraid to you know really go there at the, uh, um yeah yeah, and it did. It that stuff really did come out of nowhere. Like uh, <laughs> I knew he was going to shoot an arrows because he shot that thing in the eye. Um, but it's not like there was a ton of blood up to that point. But then, like the samurai are in the village, and they're just like hacking people, and like arms are coming off. And then he just yeah. like 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 I said, he knocks the head off the guy with an arrow. And uh, it's not gratuitous violence, but it's more than I expected to see in a um, a cartoon. And maybe that's my childish view of what a cartoon is supposed to be. But I didn't. Um, that was like sort of unexpected. Um, I know what you mean about the Okoto or the, the blind boar. Um, yeah. That it wasn't scary, but it was like, you know, like he's just like consumed by just getting to the pool so he can get cured. And then, then the deer just comes and euthanizes both of them. Um, right, which like, right. again, I guess that's the maturity is there's no, like even the deer itself, the deer God is creepy as fuck. And it's not a, yeah. it's not a benevolent being like it, gives life and it takes it at the same time and then as soon as it it gets its head taken away it just turns into this like monster that just like goes around looking for its head right so uh yeah i don't know like i 
I, I, I do see the, the balance and the maturity. And I, I, again, I don't know if I would say scary, but it's definitely something that is not just like a good time romp in the forest of Japan. Like it's like, there's something no. to it. What cheapened it a bit. I, like I, I didn't like the Kodama or Kodoma or whatever. Those little white Pillsbury doughboys oh, the, in the trees. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the forest spirits or whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah, why why did you why did you like this? I just it's like if you're watching something looking to have something to roll your eyes about in a animation movie, that's the thing. Like that's the one where it's like, oh boy, like these just like little like naked white ghosts just like walking around <laughs> the forest. Like what did you what did you think of porgs in in Star Wars then? <laughs> what which ones are those? The porgs, those little like birds that remember in Star Wars? Yeah, but which, like, which, oh, like the ones they run on? No, the, uh, the like, those little animals in, in the Star Wars movie, did, did those annoy you? Oh, uh, like you know, the puffin like ones them? on the, yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah, those little, like, penguin birds. No, they those didn't annoy me, those just felt like, here's a new line of toys we can, can make, so, like, I, I guess it annoyed me in one way, I just thought that, like, um... I guess it's the same thing, but it's just something about those good names. And I guess I just didn't understand their purpose. Those porgs were just like part of the world, but it was like a little opportunity to accommodate. These things seem to actually serve some sort of purpose, but I didn't know what they were. And like, it just like, maybe that's something that if you were more affiliated with Japanese culture and knew forest spirits and whether fully or tangentially believed in them at some point or another, it would have made more sense. But like, I didn't even really know what they were supposed to represent. So I guess this is a good point for me to ask you then, like, of, you know, if we're like, do you, or like, do you prefer sort of the storytelling where it's clear and kind of logical and the setting is a little bit more believable versus sort of Studio Ghibli where it's a little bit more illogic and it's more sort of, uh, it's more sort of like, uh, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it where it's like, it, it's not quite as grounded as uh, do you prefer the more grounded stuff or the less grounded stuff? I don't know. I guess I don't care about how fantastical the world is. I just like, I guess I don't, I didn't like, I guess this is the soft world building thing. It's not even that I didn't like it. I just, I, I used to give an ex a hard time for asking me questions during movies and I don't do that really. I will like wait till the thing is over to try to figure it out. But like if it takes forever to be resolved or if the resolution isn't very good or if I it is resolved and I still am like, what? Like I don't I don't understand that takes away from the enjoyment of it. And like um, things like uh, I don't get why that monk was in the village and then was back again. I don't get why Irontown was being besieged by people who had almost nothing to do with the rest of the story. Um, I don't get why they didn't know all of this mythology they know about these gods. They didn't know that that thing would start looking for its head once they took the head. Um, and then the Kodam, I didn't get what they were for. I guess the last scene when they're starting to come out of like the undergrowth of what was left behind when the Nightwalker explodes is like that's <laughs> symbolic of like life returning to the area or whatever. Um, yeah, but that's yeah. a that's a big set up for a small payoff, you know, like a right. flower would have done the job also. Um, so I still feel like I'm, I'm missing something. So it's not that I don't like things to be fantastical. It's just like, there's, it felt you like, like to have more important you like to than have, it was. 
well you like to have it do you like to have it sort of clear and explained to you or do you like the sort of like like would like those sort of holes that you were that you just explained a second ago like was there a part of you that kind of like filled in those gaps yourself while you were watching it or were you just like oh that's just they're not telling me what it is so i don't know it's i guess it's a bit of both i just didn't yeah. it was more that i didn't understand how they didn't know they know where this forest god is they know all of the stuff about him but then they get there like they know where the pool is but then they get there and they're like oh my god he gives life and takes life like they're so surprised that he's like a that he kills the wolf and the the boar um and then they know all of this like mythology it's like if we take this head it bestows immortality on this warlord who is not important whatsoever um or the emperor wants the head of the thing they know that having the deer god's head is going to make him immortal but they don't know that it's going to turn it into like this rampaging like it it's the suspension of disbelief i'm fine with if there's like the, like those kind of gaps in logic we're like they're so smart and so concerned and they know exactly what they need to do to cut the head off it's like wait till he starts turning into the night walker and then take it like they have the exact strategy in place and then they take the head and it's a disaster that nobody saw coming. Like that's not just like a detail that's not explained. That's like a, wow, these people either don't know what they're doing or they really know what they're doing. And it was like a bit of, there was no like, uh, they seemed to have all the answers until they didn't, I guess. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it, no, it's not I, that it wasn't good. It just like, it, it wasn't even confusing. It just was like, Oh, come on. Like you didn't know that, yeah. like all the stuff that you do know about this thing, like you didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, I, I'm kind of both ways as well. Like I, I obviously like, um, you know, I obviously really like Lord of the Rings and I like sort of that attention to detail in movies. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also kind of like sort of the more obscure sort of the ones that don't aren't meant to have like this huge payoff and have everything explained. You kind of just watch it and just kind of get a, a sense of the atmosphere and a, a sense of the, like a vibe, I guess, of the, of the movie. Right. Um, like one of the examples I'd bring up uh, in my, in my show notes here is, uh, uh, and this was mentioned in that YouTube video that talks about hard and soft world building is Harry Potter and how JK Rowling has said in interviews before, like, while she was writing the book, she was also creating the world. Like she didn't have this all planned out in her head ahead of time. She was making it up as she went along. Um, and then, you know, as it became more and more popular and it became like this huge and it became this huge thing and people were kind of, you know, spending more and more time in that in that universe that she had created. I think just out of curiosity, they would obviously have questions. But then I think they they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit because then they actually like would legitimately answer them when it's it's a question that they probably didn't even care about, but answering them in a way that answering a, like a sort of a meaningless question um, uh, legitimately like that, it kind of just like takes away from the believability of it. And it just like, it starts to make you, it, it, it starts to suspend your disbelief. So like one of the examples I bring up was, um, I think JK Rowling was tweeted once, you know, how did wizards go to the bathroom before the invention of toilets? And it's like, who, who cares? Like, how does that, how does that, how does that impact the story of Harry Potter at all? Anyway? Yeah. But like, this is literally, I, I'm, I, I think you can look this up. Like this is canonized. Like she, I don't know if she replied to it or whoever runs the Twitter account for Harry Potter said, oh yeah, wizards and witches would like shit their pants 
before toilets and then they would just use magic to get rid of the waste and the smell like that's actually that was the legitimate answer to that question yeah and it's like it's like no one needed to know that like that right but now it's out there and it it kind of serves no purpose it serves no purpose other than to just make the now it's just now it's like you just added something like really stupid to you know like explaining away all that stuff is just it it does it does more bad than it does good in my opinion, yeah. like stuff like that. Yeah. What people can latch onto seems like quite strange. Like um, I was never, I've maybe seen one episode of the show ever, but like with Star Trek, they have no problem that like dark matter is fueling the like light speed engine on the um, enterprise. But if Spock shows a little bit of emotion, they're like, that's not what a Vulcan would do. It's like, they're yeah, so right. like, wait, so you're fine with the light speed travel, but you're not okay that this guy like got angry this one time. And it's like, Okay, like you just are living in this world, I guess, way more fully than I'm able to to inhabit them. Yeah. Um, well, I think this whole idea of like hard and soft world building came from this. Uh, I think it was derived from the idea of hard versus soft fantasy and hard versus soft science fiction. Because, or because I, I think, yeah, like hard world building is they say is what people are kind of more accustomed to when it comes to fantasy and sci-fi because a lot mm-hmm. of because it's because it is so unrealistic you kind of have to explain things in order to make it um believable for whoever's watching it so a lot of those yeah. sort of science fiction old science fiction movies like uh, like star trek or, or those old tv shows you know when they say like dark matter is um you know powering the ship like there is i think there is actually research to suggest that that is a, is a possibility i think it's all very theoretical um so I, I think like that stuff is actually kind of grounded um in reality but then yeah like they've already kind of established you know yeah spock shows emotion like that kind of flies that kind of goes against it but i can see why you would be like okay there are other things you got to kind of get over before you get over a vulcan showing emotion <laughs> yeah um one thing that i did think was really interesting and i wouldn't have known this until um we actually went there so we were in japan two three years ago yeah yeah and uh what a like what a place <laughs> like <laughs> like it was in and this did a good job of capturing it you get this view of it and it's just like this like perverted technological nation like that's how it like is <laughs> like put across in the west like everything is robots and there was some of that stuff like you remember the vending machines that like gave you the cup and then poured the pepsi into the cup rather than just giving you a can like (laughs) things like that do exist and there were these like things but like it wasn't neon lights and everything around every corner and um i didn't watch the show but i played the pokemon video game a lot and there was a lot of the villages in japan from this like made up japan but when you actually went to those places like this is like surprisingly like pokemon <laughs> like yeah minus the magical monsters everywhere like these like <laughs> the style is the same the way they eat is sort of the same like it was like a For lot sure. of like tie over there and one thing that i was both i don't want to say disappointed because i didn't want it to be like this but you go in and expected it to be that like um all anime all neon and then like all like this like weird sex stuff like just and out in the middle of nowhere and out in the middle of uh like in public not that that stuff doesn't exist in other countries but like it seemed like the perception is japanese people are a lot less like uh squeamish about the publicization of some of that stuff 
Mm-hmm. It was just a normal place. And one thing that comes across here in this, even though it's supposed to be 500 or 700 years ago or whatever, is like they don't have um, like Kappa walking around. They don't have like these weird, fantastical, like typical, like there's dragons or anything like that. The animals there are there's monkeys, there's wolves, and there's boars. It could be, I guess, except for the monkeys, it could be Europe or America. It's not like it's like this whole different world you're living in. Like they obviously the things can talk and they're forest gods and whatever, but like (laughs) it's just a normal place. Um, And that like, I guess, was communicated better in anime than I had imagined it would. I did think that they were going to go like fantastical, crazy over the top, like it's steering into the Japanese mythology. And I guess it did. But the Japanese mythology is based around fucking deer. We went to that park in uh, Nara. Just yeah, all those yeah. deer walking around just in the middle of the street. Nobody cares. It's they're there. It's a shrine. They're allowed to be there. Um, you saw a lot more deer there than you would in other places, but there's deer in Canada. It's not like it's like this like 20 antlered beast that walks around Japan all the time. It's just like for as different as it seems, it's really not that that different in environment. The culture obviously is quite different, but as far as like what's actually on the island, it's like it's a pretty pedestrian place uh <laughs> like despite how it's portrayed yeah yeah no i uh I, i'm curious like did this did this get you interested in, in watching any more anime or is this is this kind of like this is your one and done <laughs> i think if i am going to do it again i think i will do it in english um yeah i think that's just like it'll let me just like sit and watch it more. Um, It's not that I have a hard time with the subtitles reading them. The problem is like you're reading and um, for sure. Yeah. And trying to watch it. And if it's like a dialogue scene in a restaurant in like a real act, like a live action movie, who cares if you're missing what they're eating at the table, but like for something that's got this reputation for being like so beautiful and sweeping and like gorgeous animation shots. If you're like looking at the subtitles, like maybe it's just the way my vision works. I have a hard time taking it all in if I have to read. Um, So yeah. And I like miss, miss some stuff. So like I, I think spirited away is the one that people keep um, talking about as like possibly the best, um, this is one of the ones that's the best, but also that would be the the other candidate probably. Spirited, Spirited Away was the I think it's I don't know if it's the only one from the studio that's won an Academy Award. It's certainly one of the it's I think when most people kind of get into anime, they typically go by um, Spirited Away. That's mm-hmm. uh, that there's some pretty iconic enduring shots. Like I'm sure you've seen um you know pictures of like the little girl with that weird black ghost on a on a train like that's one of the sort of enduring images of that movie and also like i, I don't know if you you knew this but you remember that south park episode um where cartman is dressed up as the coon and he has that weird scene with like that squid monster god and he's like sitting and they're like communicating with each other yeah you remember that scene in, in south uh, park? So so that's, i know what you're i know what you mean yeah yeah like that's a, that scene is directly lifted from probably the most iconic studio ghibli movie uh my neighbor totoro mm-hmm. like that's literally a scene like lifted from that movie so like there's probably a whole bunch of other movies that um that are directed by this or made by this studio that if you went and watched it and you'd realize you know just the, the number of influences that it's had on uh, on other on other media well people here 
tend to hate Japanese people, but they love Tortoro. That shit is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, and yeah. it's this very weird relationship <laughs> with Japan because they really, really hate Japan, but then they right. like the art and the style and everything. They like all their um, exports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess like it's just the, not even the culture, but just those like particular movies. Um, so I'm, you, when we talked about this just last week, a little bit after we stopped recording, I was saying like, um, I know the name of it. Is that the one with the girl in the broom? And you're like, oh, that's Kiki's Delivery Service. And I was like, oh, okay, then I think I know you, what you mean. It's like, um, and I, I thought it was Avatar, The Last Airbender. Like, they're all the same <laughs> to me. And I know they're completely right. and uniquely different, but I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't know enough to know the difference between any of them. Like, I knew the name Spirited mm-hmm. Away and I just associated it with the girl in the broom. So, like, I wasn't, I was right. in the right neighborhood, but I wasn't at all um, like in that, that world. Um, yes. So I don't know, maybe like, uh, is there one that you would recommend that we could watch and Vivian could watch it? Cause I think she would like it just because it's the animation, but I don't want it. Yeah. To be, like, I mean, anything that's haunting. My na- like my neighbor Totoro, I think is perfect for adults and kids. Cause that, that movie, okay. I think at the end of the day, kind of that movie is sort of just like about being a kid. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what the again it's a movie with very very low stakes and it's kind of refreshing because like you watch these movies that come out like avengers and the stakes are just like so massive like it's not even the world anymore it's like the universe and all of existence right. is online in, in some of these films and it's just like these it's exciting but it's it's also just it's kind of exhausting after a while and it's just sort of refreshing to see these movies that it's just about it's not even a build, it's not necessarily building towards anything incredibly meaningful you know, like as far as the climax is concerned it's just about watching it and just kind of enjoying the experience enjoying the music um you know miyazaki all of miyazaki's films are scored by this uh, this uh, man named uh, joe hisaishi i might be butchering his name i apologize um mm. but like just like the everything from just the music to the animation like that's what i wanted to ask you next like what did you think of the the hand-drawn animation of of Mononoke, do you do you prefer? I know you, you kind of made a you kind of gave your opinion when we were talking about Snow White, um, but do you prefer hand drawn animation or do you prefer um, computer generated uh, animation? I don't know now. In, or, or um, do you even have an opinion? Yeah, I think um, one thing about anytime people use computers is that they're like depending on when you're using them they're incredibly limiting like that's going to ground you in time more than anything and you made a note about toy story being that way it's like it's the first computer animated movie it still looks great but it definitely looks like something that they would have like blown out of the water today Um, and with both these movies that we're talking about being a blend of computer and hand-drawn i don't know if one was necessarily better than the other but i did think I was able to see when they used the computer um, in Princess Mononoke, well, it's particularly the, because the snake tentacles were, I think, very much so computer. Okay, computer see, generated. then maybe I'm wrong because I wouldn't have even said that. I just thought there were like some sweeping shots or the way they like panned around and did like certain movements or um, in Princess mm-hmm. of Egypt, a lot of it is the water they used the computer for. Yes. Um, yeah. And it looks good, but you can see the. F- the difference and that is probably says more about like windows 98 than it does about um, <laughs> the animation skill but uh i don't know i think if they had done one completely traditionally hand-drawn one and one computer one i don't know that i would have an opinion i guess the thing that i i noticed and um that stood out was that uh you could see what was what was what 
and mm-hmm. it's it doesn't take you out of it but you do realize that like oh like this looks different and it's because it's a computer or this looks different because it's uh i don't think the computers were particularly well used in princess bone and okay and i know they weren't used very much um but the fact that you could notice them took away from how much of an achievement it was to be able to do what they did for most of it while it was hand-drawn for sure no i uh, like the point that i was um trying to get at uh just in my opinion i think and i think you kind of touched on it is um with hand-drawn animation or excuse me with computer animation you're yeah you're limited kind of by the technology that's available to you at the time whereas with hand-drawn animation you're basically only limited to the skill of the artist and so to me like you look at when toy story came out versus when princess mononoke came out and one to me has aged far better than the other like Toy yeah. Story again is it has a lot of nostalgia attached to it. It's got a good story, but the animation by today's standards is is pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. But Mononoke, you can that's you know you you can't really age out of that sort of hand drawn style, and that's just again sort of another reason why I, I really like um, I like the style of animation uh, anime. I, I really and I like the movies that come out of Studio Ghibli because even for the movies that that I didn't really enjoy like on a story wise, like movies like, like Ponyo and Pompoko. I wrote a note down here saying, you know, every time Studio Ghibli comes out with a new movie, it feels like a big deal to me. Not a big deal. Again, like Avengers where it's this massive blockbuster, but how it's the same way how people get excited for the new Christopher Nolan movie or the new Tarantino movie. Like it's a new thing from this studio or this director or this person because even if you don't like it, uh, like on a story or a thematic level, you can kind of just appreciate that it's a very polished, you know, it's a very polished product. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, may, it might not have hit for you, but you know that it wasn't made haphazardly and it was made, you know, with a lot of attention to detail. And, and that's always, I, I always really enjoy that. Like there's a, there's a YouTube video, again, I saw of um, uh, one of these artists from Studio Ghibli and it's just kind of a time lapse of him spending like six to seven hours painting this tiny background, but right. just the level of the level and attention to detail that he puts into it. And he, it's just, it's fun to, again, watch somebody just nail something. And I think that Studio Ghibli is really, really good um, when it comes to making these animated movies. And, I, you know, I, I can't recommend them highly enough to, you know, if you're a fan of anime, you've probably seen them all. Um, and if you're even kind of curious on getting into it, it can be a little bit intimidating getting into anime because it's, I mean, it, it is, you know, a lot of people have differing opinions on it and it's, there's a lot of content out there. You don't know where to start, but uh, to me, if you're even a little bit curious, um, you should definitely go check these movies out. If you live in Canada, they're all on Netflix, you know, go, uh, go give, uh, go give some of them a watch. Yeah, it's not that different an idea than like World of Warcraft as a stigma because like people think it's silly for people who play or maybe not so much anymore. But at the time when it was at its peak, people thought it was silly, a silly game, game for losers or whatever. And then Skyrim comes out and it's like pretty much exactly the same shit in theme, (laughs) but it's like a cooler version and it's like you don't have the baggage attached to it. So like people will go see these Pixar movies and like them and like cartoons and whatever. But as soon as you mention anime, it's like you're not just carrying the animation you're carrying the baggage of being somebody who's into anime. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, no, it's yeah. so true. 
so yeah you know i i didn't i didn't hate it as much as i thought i didn't hate it um <laughs> but i did i didn't hate it as much as i thought i win. would going into um anime and, and i would say my complaints with it were more um like language barriers and they were actually complaints but there sure. were things that That's did like you're watching it and you're like oh yeah like, like this is really cool that somebody did this um by hand like it looks really good the action is cool they look everything looked like so much attention to detail and smooth and uh yeah no i like uh, again if you have any interest in these things i wouldn't say it's that much different than a traditional animated movie um as far as like what your actual like visuals are going to be and if anything it's it's better um and if your problem with animation is that it seems childish like these sound like a place to kind of remedy that mm-hmm. that's sort of what i liked about um prince of egypt also is like and this is why i think they're good partners is because what i liked so much about this movie is even though it is ostensibly for kids and it's a kids um movie and it's a musical and there's things like that and they do a lot of things that are just supposed to be entertaining like the horse races and stuff at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um and hotep and hoy the priests are definitely just like gimmicky yeah. they serve a purpose but they're also just like do like magic tricks and stuff to keep people entertained yeah. and um what i really like about this movie and one of the like stranger obsessions that i have is with like it's not even an obsession but one of the stranger things that i'm interested in is like the um historicity of this like old testament stuff like mm-hmm. it's i'm not a believer i don't go to church or synagogue or anything and i'm not taken in by like the the spirit at all but i do find that these like stories that they tell about these um especially the old testament ones because they're so well supported um mm-hmm. it's not like the only source of information for um moses or for any of this stuff is um just one it's a really it's a really creative way of telling what could otherwise be you know when you hear sermon in church it it has a reputation for being kind of boring this kind of presents it in a way that uh, you know it's yeah like you said there's like exciting moments to it but it still gets that sort of fundamental story across yeah and i just think like just the history of it is like um, yeah. one one of the reasons why like even though they've been persecuted for thousands of years like one of the things like the jewish like tradition continues on so strongly is like they're one of the first like people to start like writing down these things and have like a real scholarship around um like their their religion and their faith and their they have these commentaries on their religious texts well before like any of these other religions do uh that i'm aware of and i do think not, not that I just have a gut feeling, but I do think based on what I've read is like that there's some sort of um, historical record for these uh, people, even though that they're however many thousands of years before Christ, like they have these like um, written records and testaments. And obviously there's a lot of the stuff in this that isn't true, but what's really interesting to me is like looking at the fantastical magical part that they talk about in some of these like uh, um, Bible books and like trying to understand um how that gets interpreted and and changed the way it is so like the moses story is one of the most interesting ones to me on paper and then to have it in a movie obviously like makes it movieized or hollywoodized or whatever but like Mm -hmm. the reason why i like the story so much is like there's so much below the surface to think about um not for kids probably but you really have to do the um 
some, it's a Wikipedia research, but you really have to do some of the research to find out some of the stuff. Yeah. And like one of the, like one example is like, um, they're walking through after it's not in the movie, but after they leave Egypt and they're, they're waiting to get into Israel. I think they walk around for like 40 years just in the desert before like the promised land is given to them. And uh, there's a scene where like they're in the middle of the fucking desert. So they need water. And uh, what was this? Like he's supposed to like pray to the rock and the waters, but the rock's supposed to give them water. And he, he doesn't, he gets mad and he, he slaps it with his stick and that's why he ends up not being able to go into Israel because he like God told him to do something and he didn't do it. Um, but I uh, yeah, but what the scientific explanation for it is, is like in this area around Israel and in the desert is like, there's this limestone, which is like really porous and holds water. And these people who live there probably knew that if you smash this rock, water is going to come out of the rock. So it's like stuff like that I find really interesting is like they have this whole twisted like Bible narrative for why Moses did what he did. And it's got these backhanded ways. He does it because he loses his temper and then there's a punishment for it and they turn it into a lesson. But what's really interesting to me is looking at these like old stories and being like, okay, like what actually happened before they turned it into like this, this moral tale. And this movie is not that it doesn't give you the the research so much like there actually is like the the burning bush and stuff like that um like wasn't that supposed to be a hallucination like because yeah and it easily could have been but that's yeah well maybe yeah but that's not something that's like grounded in like there's there'd be no way to prove that um but this movie just tells the story but the reason why this story is so interesting to me is it's like i like looking at the history of it and like going back and reading some of the stuff about um how that thing possibly could have been true and um the one of the better examples is uh when they leave egypt uh here hold on i'll read the wikipedia uh description it's it's the exodus story it's just it tells the story of um moses becoming the prince of egypt and then being self-exiled and then coming back as the leader of the hebrews to free them from um slavery in egypt mm-hmm. and uh in the movie and in the bible there's like um there's a pillar of fire um, and you see it in the movie, like they're, they're caught between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. And then God comes down with the pillar of fire. And like, um, obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but pretty obviously to me, that didn't actually happen. There's not just this like column of flame <laughs> that erupts from the sky. And one of this, they had this show on the history channel called like Bible battlefield. And these guys are all clowns now that I watch it when I'm older, but when I watched it, when I was like 12 or 13, they were just like, some of the theories they put forth is like when you're walking in a big train of people, normally you would put the, um, the, the torch at the front. So everybody knows what to follow and what the Jews did when they're leaving Egypt is that this is the theory is that they took their torches and they put them at the back of the line. And the reason why is it accomplished two things. It obscured where they were because at nighttime, if you're trying to find somebody by torch, you can't see beyond the brightness. You can see where the fire is, but you can't like your eyes won't be adjusted then to the darkness around them. So people could have been anywhere and you'd have no idea. Um, And also if the torch is at the front of the line and people are following it, Egyptians chasing them down, you'd expect to get to the back of the line much faster than you would be able to get to the the front of the line. Um, Right. And if the torch is at the back of the line, you have a lot farther to go, but you don't realize you have that far to go. So like maybe bought them some time. So then that gets twisted into like this, like, 
well, it was God came down and it was a pillar of fire, a volcano erupted out of the sky, but like really it could have just been like where they chose to put their torch for some sort of strategy. Like the Red Sea parting, it doesn't actually part, but it's Moses spends 20 years in the desert around that area. He knows there's this area where it's like shallow and there's reeds. And if you go at the right time with the tides, it'll part and you can walk across and soggy enough that the the chariots couldn't do it. So he doesn't put his staff in the ground. He doesn't part the Red Sea. It doesn't see whales swimming up (laughs) in the shallows and everything, but it's like a, a, a battle strategy that they've then turned into like this fantastical tale. And, yeah, um, that's interesting. I don't know why I find that stuff so interesting, but I, I do. And this movie no, it is tells cool that, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and this movie tells that story the way it's presented in the Bible, but it's an opportunity to like think about all of that, um, uh, that's that stuff going on uh, in the background. And um, one of the things here is uh, so Moses is like the I don't I don't even know if he's a prophet or anything, but he's sent and he's supposed to like deliver his people from Egypt into the promised land and um there's this book i read the first half of because it it's really really long but it's called like the history of the jews um and it goes back and it does this or it like goes back and it tells like the history of how this thing possibly could have happened and one of the things about moses is the one of the arguments for why he would actually be a real person is in the bible it's like he's got to be real because nobody would ever make such an unlikable character He's got a bad temper. Unlikable. He's mean. The people don't like him. He like he kills the Egyptian slave master not by accident, as you see in the movie. Is this he how he's actually like, characterized in the Bible? Yeah, he does it in a fit of rage. He doesn't I listen. He can't. He can't speak. He's like a. He stutters. Um, he's like not a charismatic leader, but he's the one that has been chosen to be operated through. So the guy's argument is like he's got to be real because who would write a hero with this many problems? <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's he's a he's a three dimensional person at a time where you only have a very poor writer, maybe. Yeah, so that's why the that's their argument for like one of the reasons why he must be um, real, and you you don't get any of that in this. He is like for the most there. He's like there's some Jesus, conflict, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's there's some conflict within them, and I think one thing that's really cool about this movie is there's a lot a lot of mirroring. Um, between people there's a lot of mirroring between ramsey and moses um between ramsey yeah, and sure. his father between um miriam his sister and uh their mother yohebed or something um they are cutting back and reflecting and i think the sort of takeaway is like the egyptians aren't the evil oppressors i guess it's kind of got that sort of nuance to a much lesser degree but same sort of nuance that princess mononoke does where it's like yeah they're all just motivated by um, legacy and family and, progress and, like, and, and they have to protect their group like um, mm-hmm. uh, Moses's adopted father kills all the Israelites and Moses has a real problem with this when he realizes that it's his people but his yeah. dad and again maybe all people who commit genocide feel this way but he really does seem <laughs> like he really does seem like conflicted by it like he says like they grew too numerous we were afraid they would like rise up against us and like they don't make him he's not a comic book villain you know, like he's, no, like no. he's got this he's long, mustache twirling. Yeah. Yeah. He's got this long legacy of Egypt to protect and this is what he thought to do and it doesn't defend or make the decision. Okay. But it's like, they do really try to like humanize people. And um, even Ramses, who's like pushing the Israelites to do way more work than they used to because he, uh, 
he just wants the empire to be as big and as grand as possible. And again, it sounds like I'm justifying slavery. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, but they, they don't make it like the Israelites are all the way good. And the Egyptians are all the way bad. Like there's, there's conflict in both of them. They both just want to please their father, whether it's actually the Pharaoh, whether it's actually God, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Like they, 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 they flesh out everybody. Um, they do yeah. a really good job of going into detail about like all of these characters and these like characters, like, Holy shit, this cast is insane. Did you look at the list? I, I was, yeah. I was going to say, this is one of like, I didn't realize how good, like you think about it. It's like, Oh yeah, he's, Oh yeah, he's in it. Like, yeah. But right away, those, uh, those two priests being um, voiced by uh, Steve Martin and Martin short, like, yeah. just, and it's Val like really heavy hitters. Yeah. Uh, Ralph Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum is Aaron, Danny Glover, Patrick Stewart, Helen Patrick Mirren. Stewart. Helen Mirren is in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, in a, and it's not a nothing part, but very little. Like she doesn't do much. She's the Pharaoh's wife. She's in like a bit at the beginning. Um, right. And uh, yeah, like it's like a pretty huge voice cast. And speaking of mirroring, one of the really interesting things is um, uh, Val Kilmer voices Moses, but he also uncredited voices God. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, so he, they, you only hear God's voice once when he's talking to him at the burning bush, but it's Val Kilmer's voice and they've modulated it and layered it through all of this stuff. But it's like, I don't know what that says about who God is or whether God was inside you the whole time or whatever, all of these like weird <laughs> like morals you could take away from it. But it's a cool idea. You could have found any actor to do with 45 seconds of dialogue, um, but they use Val Kilmer to do it, um, which I yeah. thought was, was really interesting. What's um? What's your kind of like? When was the first time you ever heard of the Prince of Egypt? Was it more recent, or have you known about it since uh, since it came out? It says nineteen ninety eight. Have you known about it since since that time, so or is I it have, more of a recent discovery? It's both, but um, I have such a weird relationship with this stuff because, like, when I was like seven, like Jehovah's Witness came to our door and just like started yeah. like, trying to do whatever, recruit or sell or whatever, and but they left us with a kid's Bible um illustrated bible and i fucking love that bible like i would read that it was like a kid's version and it wasn't like with the you didn't know like john 4 16 or whatever didn't do the verses it was just like telling the stories and i thought that they were like really interesting stories but any opportunity for things to be organized and get me involved that way that's the (laughs) stuff i i hate and reject out of hand like i think the stories are really interesting anything that comes along with being religious on top of that is like oh god i have no patience for this you're all brainwashed this is fucking stupid like i just like i'm not i'm not that judgmental about it i just know it's not for me um like i remember going to church once for christmas one year um sort of against my will and like walking in walk, walking in the door to the church and the priest or not the priest the fuck whatever they're called um the guy that's in charge of the minister. church if it's not a catholic minister yeah sure so he comes yeah. in he shakes my hand and he goes oh good to see you again and i'm like well you're all full of shit because this is the first time i've been here you're just like it's, it's exactly what i thought it's just fake pleasantries everybody's wow. just being nice like and just like you getting caught him in a lie like that. <laughs> yeah, just and it was the simplest thing. And it was just like I was looking for something to be angry about. Um I didn't want to go. And then when I went, I had to find these reasons to not go. But I, I don't think I was completely wrong, but at the same time, it was like not the biggest deal in the world that he was being pleasant. Of course he doesn't remember everybody. But anytime you try to attach like a structure to it, it loses all like 
maybe it's as simple as I don't like somebody telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, know? no, that's, I think, <laughs> want to read I it on my own. A lot of people, I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't uh, subscribe to religion. Um, yeah, just, yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to be told to do. They don't want to wake up on Sunday, and it's it's, yeah. it's kind of a shame because like the context, like you're you're so right. Like with the Prince of Egypt or like any of these stories, like they're they're interesting stories. But when they come along with all these extra requirements and um, you know these yeah these basically these these rules that you have to live your life by, and normally they're pretty wholesome rules. Like, you know, thou shall not kill. Like that's 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 one I think we can all get on board with. Um, but like when yeah like when it comes with all the extra stuff that. You know, you know sometimes will come with um mm-hmm. i see i definitely see what you mean it's uh, it can be a little bit um it can turn you off a little bit i don't like the judgment like i just reject out of and not even the judgment of like oh you're not christian like whatever but like the judgment of like i reject out of hand that i can't you can't be a good person unless you go or like the only way to be saved yeah. is to be um right like, you know, like I'm not some lost soul that like, I'm not one of the Moses' sheep lost in the desert and just looking for the shepherd to lead me, whatever. Like, I just think like on it's, this is an interesting and much deeper conversation on whole. You could argue whether religion has been good for the world or not. But, um, I think at the very least the community stuff is, is good and that there are rules that you need to follow. And my thing is who cares if those rules come from, a book that billions of people read or whether they come from your parents who just sort of like instilled that same sort of belief without any of like the dogma attached to it. I don't think you're like, thou shall not kill like no fucking shit. Like like I I didn't need a tablet from, I didn't need a tablet from God to to figure that one out. Like, it's just like, you're not going to do it. Um, but I don't know, like the thing about like the, this is before Moses. <laughs> this is before Moses' time, but like the flood narratives, like um, almost every culture in the world has like a um, story in their religious text about a cleansing flood that comes down and gets rid of all the bad people and animals and only like the righteous survive. And it's like, that's not just a Bible thing. That's like, they have it in India. They have it in North America. All of these different cultures have the same sort of like flood narrative. Um, yeah. So maybe there's something to it. Um, something like stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I find really interesting. There's a lot of parallels between these things that make you think like something could have actually happened and then it gets twisted and interpreted and then cut out and put back in and then found in a cave. And it's like, okay, well, who knows what's true? But the point is, it's like, this is to me, it's history. It's not, um, it's not religion. It's, it's history. Like faith, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's cool. And it's really, um, you know, I, this is a partly a, a media thing but also maybe just the way i lean i like really love the the coen brothers and yep. uh they're they're i picked one of their movies for my my favorite director um category and i did you watch the goist teeth did you watch that video no i, I didn't get around uh, okay it, but, uh, it's, it's you should watch it after it but really the whole point is like there's this um it's set in the 50s in minnesota and there's this like jewish dentist that he's making a mold for this guy's teeth one day and he finds uh <laughs> inside the the goy's teeth uh the non-jews teeth in the inside of his teeth there's like hebrew letters carved and it says like uh help me save me and the dentist just goes through like the spiritual crisis he's like what could it mean is this a sign from god what should i do and he goes and he like the letters mean numbers he calls the number and it's a grocery store like he has all of these questions and it never really leads him anywhere so he goes to the rabbi to explain it 
to get it explained to him. And he goes, is it a sign? Is it a sign that I should help myself or should I help other people? And uh, is it a sign from God or is it even a question like what's going on? And the rabbi says like, uh, um, sign from God, we don't know. Um, message, we don't know. Helping others, couldn't hurt. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and then yeah. the guy just takes, he just takes it and leaves. And so I think that stuff is, I don't mind people attaching morals to messages. It just, or morals to history, but it just turns into like uh you have to do it or you're one of the bad guys. And, and I don't like right, that stuff, yeah. but I, I do like the, the, the history of it. And uh, this is sort of unrelated, but it is interesting that the, uh, uh, this fact blew my mind when I heard it, but the amount of time that's passed from when the Egyptian empire ended to now is less than the amount of time that passed from the beginning of the Egyptian empire to the end of the Egyptian empire. So like the Egyptian Whoa. empire lasted like 3,500 years and we're only 2,500 years since it ended. So the amount of time Crazy. that they were there and in control and had like the civilization built up is like um, dealing with a lot of di- diversity, um, pretty big empire, pretty big spread, but you see their like desire to keep it, it going. Like he says to yeah. uh, Seti, he says to Ramses, he says like, or Ramsey says, we've been around for 2,000 years. We have the pyramids. We're not going anywhere. And then Seti says, yeah, but it only takes one weak link to break the chain. Um, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't want to... He's so consumed by not being the weak weak link that he uh, is like keeps getting pushed to more and more extreme extreme things. Um, which again Ramsey's is not a justification a- for hate crime, but it's uh, <laughs> like at least it's an explanation where it's not just somebody doing something without any reason other than they're the bad guy is Ramses the second that's also ozymandias right that's another name I, or ozymandias is yes. another name for Ramses, like this yes. great ruler whose empire eventually fell yeah is that the same and thing? yeah it, it is Ramses the second and i that's where they don't know what is what and what to believe because if there was a Ramses the second they don't think the timeline lines up with the bible story but then it clearly says Ramses, so they don't really know how that got twisted. So there's still a lot of questions that they have to get answered for, uh, yeah. um, for the history. Like it's obviously still pretty, pretty vague, but I think like Ramses is definitely a real emperor. Moses is possibly a real person, but whether or not they overlapped is a different question. And I mean, I guess there could have been two Ramses. There's already two of them. So maybe it was just another yeah. name from like whatever. <laughs> but, uh, um, and then the other thing with the, the plagues, they, they were really good job at showing the, the 10 plagues without um, it being, it's like, it's a montage. So it's probably mm-hmm. two or three minutes and it's like the river turns to blood, the frogs come into the water, the locusts come, the meteors storms. Come like, yeah. And again, I guess it's, except for the meteors and except for the angel coming and killing the firstborn child and all that, a lot of that stuff they say could be explained by um, a volcano erupting in Santorini. Um, that would have made bugs migrate south, which is, Santorini would be just barely north of Egypt. Um, the increase in water temperature because of the ash in the atmosphere would have made tadpoles mature faster. So you'd have this abundance of frogs. Like it's another way that they're able to explain. That's so cool. These yeah. Curses. And it's like, of course it lines up nice and perfectly with Moses says, I'm going to curse you. And then a volcano erupts. It's like, <laughs> you can either like attribute that to God making the volcano erupt or just say like, it's crazy coincidence. But, like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it is like a, another, grounded explanation for these like mystical things that are going on. That's cool. Where did you, where did you read up on all these different things? I, I, that's just one of the things I like to 
to read. Um, that's, I, again, that's so like interesting. A, yeah. a couple books, mostly Wikipedia or other other web pages, and uh, uh, one of my not only one of my favorite podcasts, but one of my favorite podcast episodes is uh, Moshe Kasher's on Pete Holmes podcast, and they're <laughs> okay. talking about this stuff and whether the history of the Jews and you know the story like the um, city of Jericho. No. They like be, they besiege the city in Israel. They're trying to take it over and get like their their land back. And uh, so they God says like walk around carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant walk around for um, seven days, and on the seventh day, blow your horn, the ram's horn, and the walls will fall. And then it's like they looked at this town that is supposedly Jericho, and there's like obviously damage from an earthquake at some point. So it's like there was probably just an earthquake around the time they're looking to in, invade and. Uh, mm. Um, then they attribute it to like God's favor. It probably didn't happen as soon as they blew the horn on the seventh day or whatever. And, right. um, yeah. but the, the, let's talk about Samson with his long hair and his long hair gives him strength and people like he's kicking the shit out of people. And most of goes, hmm, must be the hair. <laughs> like, people look, at, look at this thing. It's like, like, Ooh, what a head of hair. Like they just like look at him and like, <laughs> they, yeah, they read something else into what's actually going on. Like this guy is doing, like, did he actually things. like start, did he actually start losing though when his hair got cut? <laughs> that's the story, but like obviously we know yeah. that's not how it works. Like, uh, you know, right. I guess some people believe that to a certain degree. People grow their hair. Like Jason Tatum this year in the NBA bubble didn't get his hair cut for like the whole quarantine. Yeah, yeah, and went I, back. I and in his, yeah, in his first three games, yeah. it was terrible. So he cut his hair. Um, you know, didn't really do anything, but you kind of see some of that like carry over and well, athletes um, in particular have like such crazy routines sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. and i guess the problem is like we hear like this is barely about the movie but this is the stuff i find interesting about the movies uh um we hear the stories that have been like filtered through all of these different layers and translated for like that at this point thousands of years um but if you go back and and i haven't read them but you read like the commentaries on the original ones there's some really weird stuff in there like um Moses goes and you don't you see this a little bit in the movie but Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai and um, God gives him the tablets like they're handwritten in God's hand and he gives the Ten Commandments and he gives them to Moses and he says okay go down and give these to the people so he goes down the mountain he's got the tablets in his hand and he was gone for so long that people got scared and they started like worshiping another God so Moses gets mad and throws God's tablets at the statue of the God and it breaks the statue but it also breaks the tablets so then he's got to go back up the mountain and then God says, okay, I forgive you, but you have to write them this time. God's yeah, not going to write them. Okay. He makes Moses write them. And it's like, why? Like, what does it, who cares? Like, it's not, it's like a really interesting way, even thousands of years ago for them to like take people think like the Bible, like dropped on a parachute from heaven, even still today, right. like people believe that. But here in this like old story, they're saying it, no, it, it didn't like, this is something he actually had to write. And here's, here's why. It's like a, a weird cover story. And um, what they say in that Pete, Pete Holmes podcast is like, um, that was like considered an M. Night Shyamalan level twist in the Bible days. It was like, <laughs> if you saw one of those movies, it would blow your dick off. And he says like, uh, it's like, wait, but were the tablets in God's handwriting? It's like, no, but he threw them. Oh, <laughs> so this story, I think, and this movie, I like the movie. I love the songs. Oh my god! Like the I wrote. I was, like was going to. I wanted to uh, ask you about that. Yeah, because like I watched this movie just recently, or not recently, like a year ago. And yeah, I agree. Like one of the things that stood out was just how good the music was in this in this movie. Yeah, one of them won an Oscar. Um, 
the one they're singing when they're leaving. The one I really like is the deliver us one at the beginning when all the slaves are like lifting up the Egyptian statues. They're like singing yeah. and saying like, you promised us we'd have a land, but we're stuck here. We're in, um, we're in slavery and um, like we're, we're not giving up, but like, where are you sort of thing? Um, it's a really catchy song. And when we're doing soundtrack in a week or two as our next category. And I, one of the things I wrote down was um, it's not even really a soundtrack, but it's uh, Sicario. Have you seen Sicario? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's like there's music, but a lot of it is just like this hum. Like you'd be like, hmm. it's a score. Yeah. And they're driving. And I watched that movie with Anita. And for like two weeks, that like humming was stuck in my head. And I would just be sitting at our dinner table and just like making the humming sound. I just like couldn't get rid of the hum. <laughs> the um the deliver us one is the same because they like sing like the big like final line. It's like deliver us, and then it just goes home like all of the chords at the same time and it like makes the end of the song and i'll just be walking around and like take a big final step and be home like when, <laughs> like it just it's stuck in my head it's this noise like it just drives me crazy but it's so catchy at the same time and um yeah the music is just incredible and um, yeah, i really like the the song when the the place is playing and it's like yeah it's like almost like a conversation between um, Moses and Ramses, you know, Ramses mm-hmm. saying, you know, why, how could you have done this to me? Why, why, how have you come to hate me so much? And, you know, why are you bringing this upon my people? It kind of, yeah, yeah, goes back to your point about how there's, it, it's a little bit more nuanced and this is the bad guy and this is a good guy. Yeah. And like speaking to that, like um, when Moses gets put in the basket and he's getting delivered down the, the river and, um, Miriam and Sandra Bullock's characters like following him to make sure he like gets somewhere safe. That's a pretty um, cartoony scene. Like there's like alligators chomping at the basket and they miss. And then he goes behind <laughs> the boat and the oars all miss the basket. Um, but he gets there and then the Pharaoh's wife uh, picks him up and she says like, Oh, like the gods brought us a gift. And like, if you think about it, she's only half wrong. If you're believing that Moses's God is the one God, like she's only half wrong because that's exactly what did happen. She just has a different lens on it. Like yeah, she just, yeah. she just said gods instead of singular God. And it's like, they do. And like we said about Prince Mononoke, and like we said at the beginning of this one, it's like, they don't make anybody out to be horrible. Like it's definitely not a good mm-hmm. against evil fight. There's obviously one side that has to triumph and we know it's going to be the, israelites but like she's got her own belief system and it fits in and it's actually exactly what happened she just thought it was a eagle instead of a man <laughs> you know like the <laughs> <an> eagle. So, <laughs> like it's like such a small difference between the israelites and the egyptians that i think is they explore a bit but is also really cool and um i had to rewind it because as the uh hebrews are leaving there's egyptians in the crowd um because i saw like the white like tunic thing they wear on their their head and i was like wait why are there egyptians here and i think probably just egyptians left with the israelites they didn't need to show that but they included that for a reason it's, it's like people small are little attentions, attentions to detail like that that yeah uh, yeah that makes this movie really good and that, one of the things i actually read about this movie or heard about on this movie is how they deliberately drew the egyptians in this movie differently than they drew the hebrews like mm-hmm. I think the Egyptians, they drew them with more sort of angular features to sort of represent like hieroglyph- hieroglyphics, and um, yep. I, I don't know what, what kind of style they took with the with the, the Israelites, but it's a different it's a different kind of way that they that they drew them. So uh, yeah, yeah, like little attentions to detail like that. Like this is 
for a movie that is like so you know well put together and smart um it's surprising to me that it's not uh it's not more like everybody knows the lion king but no one knows this movie i guess the the content is a little bit heavier than the the lion king but uh, yeah and it's dreamworks it's not disney or pixar yeah Um, that's true yeah which now maybe isn't a big deal but i think this is dreamworks first animated movie um, oh, is it really? So, or at least it says first traditionally animated movie. So maybe they had a computer one or something before. Um, but yeah, like it. Uh, and I also think part of the reason I steered away from it for so long is like, in worse hands, this could be like the definition of preachy. And you, you, you said yeah. this to like, like, and, but like you said this about Princess Mononoke. Like, it's not polemic about the environment. Um, and you can use that word for Princess Mononoke and for Prince of Egypt, but for Prince of Egypt, you could also apply preachy because it's like literally a fucking Bible story. And it's like, <laughs> they could have like, they could have turned it into like this moral tale on how to for survive. Sure. And one, and it's kind of touching on the history again. One thing I really like about it is, is that they don't make like more than I've talked about Moses being in the things that I've read, but even still he's, he's not exactly this like Jesus figure. Like he's like, he's hesitant. He's conflicted. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't think he's strong enough. He has a problem and he runs away. Like he's not like, uh, he's not just filled with light and there as a savior. Like mm-hmm. he does, he's like, he's a, he's a person. Um, he's a relatable and, person. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he's a little bit like fleshed out to be more like messianic than he actually was or is in the real stories. But like they do make him. Um, like he he won't even uh, he sees the burning bush in uh, the hills in Midian and he doesn't even take off his shoes. Like God's talking to him, he's like, "Take off your shoes, you're on holy land." And he's like, "You're not who I I'm not who you think I am." <laughs> he's like uh, <laughs> he's like negotiating and asking questions. And um, this is like way deeper than um, they get into in the movie. But there's this like really interesting thing. So um, Jewish people don't say. Um, they like, or maybe super religious Jews won't say uh, God's name. Like, so okay. in, if yeah, you see it in writing, and if you see it in writing, you see like G slash D because they won't even write yeah. God. And yeah. so they call yeah. him Hashem, which means Lord. And, um, but, and this is Moses is like just learning how to be Jewish from the Midians. But he says, like, um, like there's a lot of Bible stories where the people won't tell you their name. Uh, like, names are like sacred. Um, and like, in one thing like Jacob's like wrestling with an angel and then he beats him, but the angel's like, okay, I beat you. Tell me your name. And the angel won't tell him his name. Um, so there's like some tradition about like your name is like personal, private, sacred. And there's a thing people call you, but it's not like your name is your essence sort of thing. Um, and you'd think like Moses should know this. Um, but, uh, he, is talking again, literally to God at the burning bush. He goes, like, "Who are you?" And God just goes, "I am that I am." And he like yells at him. And it's like, it's like, and that's like, it's not, a, it's not supposed to be like a, a funny moment. And it's the literally the line from the Bible. But there's like, he should know all of these rules, but he, you can see him like not like, um, it's not a. I wrote this is something they said in Moneyball about baseball players. They said many are called, but few are chosen. Um, and it's sort of that same sort of thing where it's like the p- person who would be the best to to do any sort of job is the same sort of person who wouldn't aspire after the job or put any like anybody who wants to be president should probably be disqualified from being president because like being that right, ambitious yeah. to be that powerful, like kind of just dis- like 
eliminates you from somebody who's going to be good at you. you need to have like power like thrust upon you and like rise to the occasion rather than constantly yeah. seeking it out and that's sort yeah, of what well, yeah. happens here is like he is like he's this prince and then he finds out he is not and then he goes and he just like he is happy with his sheep and his wife and he's got quite a simple life out in the desert for a minute and then he gets chosen um which is a, a huge a huge and major historical or biblical like accomplishment um but he doesn't want it like he doesn't like right away anyway he doesn't want the responsibility to do all of this stuff it's like who am i how am i going to do this like i don't think i'm the guy i think you picked the wrong like telling god you made a mistake <laughs> you know? like he's <laughs> got a lot how of that kind of works so it's not funny how it kind of like obviously not to that those levels but how just generally you know throughout the course of your day-to-day life there'll be times where you'll you'll get something seemingly without even trying and you don't even want it but you'll you know accomplish something like something that you didn't even think that was possible but you did and you might not have even put as much effort into it as someone who like really wanted to it's weird how that kind of stuff just happens sometimes and i guess this is a reflection of that yeah and mine and anita's like meeting story is not the most romantic story in the world because we met in a bar like it's not like anything out of the ordinary but one thing that and i've said this to her that did happen was like i moved here and was single and was like um not religiously or obsessively or anything but every once in a while i would go on and read like a blog on like chinese dating practices like how does it work here like what are the things you need to like be prepared for where are the spots you want to go like what kind of um areas and the funny thing one of the funny things was uh I read the website and it was like, you want to go to Western bars because there's a lot of Chinese people who are perfectly nice but are not that interested in meeting Western friends. And then there's people who want to just practice English. But if you go to the Western bars, that's where people who want to hang out with foreigners will be. And I was like, what a racist thing to say. What a, like a terrible, like uh, not derogatory, but just like an overly simplified version of how like Chinese people would view white people and then i went and i met anita in a western bar it's like exactly what happened and then uh, but then the other thing was i was reading those websites i was on a couple apps here i was like trying to like not trying hard or not desperately or anything but was like trying to meet people um and it didn't really work uh for my first like eight months here and then at some point i was like i got a month or two left here in my first year just gonna ride out the year have a good time with my friends like go to this show that everybody's doing like i'm i'm done trying i don't like the feeling of trying i'm just gonna be myself and just not put too much effort to just do what i want to do i met her like a week later so it's like one of those things i had to give up trying to try and like it's funny because you ask so many people and it's it happens exactly that way just when you least expect it and when you put the least amount of effort which is such a frustrating thing to think about Yeah, yeah. And I one thing I know I notice about uh like teachers is anybody who thinks they're good or is confident are the people I tend not to like very much and it's not like I'm attracted to like the self-doubt and like the agony of it, but I think that's what makes people good at it. It's like I I don't think I'm a bad teacher, but what I go through like waves and like and I it's not just about teaching, it's probably any job. It's like what keeps me going is like I feel like oh i could be doing more i'm not doing yeah i'm not doing as good a job as i could do yeah do some research i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this do and then have like a really good month like wow that was a great month you know what maybe i'm pretty good at this and then you start to sag off again 
And then you seg off and it's like, oh, things are falling apart. Maybe I'm not so good at it. Okay. I got to push, got to do some research. And it's like, the thing that keeps me being good at it is that I get bad at it. And like, I don't think I have all well, of have the answers. Heard, and, have you heard the quote? Or I don't know if it's a quote, but it's the idea that like the smarter you become, the dumber you realize you actually are. <laughs> <laughs> like the island like, as you know, learn that I know more. nothing. Yeah, it's what there's a quote by Mark Twain. It was at the beginning of the big short. I can't remember. It's like, it's not the things that I don't know that get me in trouble, but it's the things that I know for oh, what is that? Damn it. I wish yeah, I yeah, that yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, though? Yeah, it's, it's, it's that <laughs> it's that idea. Well, and I guess that ties back to the religion side of it is I don't know how all of these people. I guess I am sort of envious in a way that you could be so sure about something, but how could you possibly be so sure about something like, uh, um, this is a different podcast, but with the same guy, Moshe Kasher's back on, um, Pete Holmes's podcast. And he's comes from like very Jewish family, but his grandmother was atheist and she had like pancreatic cancer or something and like was dying like really painfully and, but slowly. And he says her last like coherent words to him where she like pulled him in close and she said, if there is a God, he saves the worst part for the end. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> it was like her like dying message to him. He's like, well, thanks for that grandma. Like he just, was like, he says he could see the humor in it and he knows what she means. And like, but I mean, how could you, how could anybody be so, so certain of anything? It's like it close it, it, not just religion, but this is where it happens the most is being so certain about something closes your mind to it. Oh um, yeah. You know, there's so many people here who are miserable living here because they keep comparing it to Canada. And it was like, wait till you work in Canada. Wait till you have any job where somebody's telling you what to do. That sucks. It doesn't matter if your boss is Chinese or Canadian. Like nobody likes work. Some people who like their work, some people who, and I like my job and I like what I do. I still don't like waking up at six. I still don't like having to deal with like things that I can't believe how these kids don't understand how to do. Like putting their name on an assignment is like the most frustrating thing. It's like, how can you not think to put your name on something? Like, it's not that I don't, but it's like, I like my job, but you get frustrated with it. Anything where you're not in complete control of it and you're under somebody's thumb, even however small is like work sucks. You know, like it's, yeah. it, it's work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that, and again, word for it. <laughs> yeah. And back to this like point about like ex- accepting it rather than like forcing your own like values on it. I think one of the things that makes me enjoy my work or enjoy living here in a country where things are like, not like home in a lot of ways is like, I don't expect, I don't expect it to be great. I don't expect it to be perfectly catered to me. I know it's my, responsibility it's their system i have to work within it it's not the opposite it's not like how do i change the system to like fit so they fit me you know it's yeah. like i expect my boss to be a dick to me at some times not because they're a bad person but because they have a b- bigger responsibility than i could possibly imagine like right i have to answer to a class they have to answer to a school and a board of governors and possibly the government and it's like obviously you're concerned about my job performance. And like, I told you that story about how um, last week I gave them the the story and some of the parents got mad about it. And like um, the school was very, very supportive of me, um, but they actually investigated my, my lesson. Like they like said, can you send us the resources? 
And it's like, I think some teachers would be like, what, where's the faith? You don't trust me. You don't believe that I'm doing a good job as possible. Of course they wanted to investigate it. Like they have a responsibility to like ask questions so they can give an informed answer. It's what you should do. But I think to a lot of people, it might feel like you're being challenged or that they don't have faith mm-hmm. in you. And like, I took it right. as the, the opposite, opposite thing. It was like, they're doing this because they're good at their job. It's inconvenient and annoying to me. And it does make it seem like you're under, I was literally under investigation, but the investigation <laughs> was so they could have the information they needed to come to my defense Right. But some people don't want to be challenged. And I think religious people particularly don't want to be challenged. Um, you can't tell them that they're wrong and um, this is how it actually is. Or like, maybe it's not this. Well, when it comes, like, yeah. When it comes to religion too, I mean, the, the stakes are just, uh, maybe that's the wrong word. The stakes being high. It's just like, like people's, people's entire identities are wrapped up in, in religion. And, and there's, there's a lot of, you know, positive things about that but yeah exactly when you when you get like the uh sort of the very 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 passionate um uh followers of any religion and you yeah just as you said challenge them or or, or question them um you know they, they can get uh, they can get pretty passionate in their in their responses for sure well i think stakes is the right word it's like literally the eternal battle for your soul like if you're <laughs> if you're one of those people who believes that like and not only like there's like the more like evangelical like preachy people um they have like an extra difficult task because they don't just have to worry about their behavior it's like their mission on earth is to try to save as many people as you can so it's like not only yeah. um not only are you having to worry about your own behavior, you might like literally have to like go to hell because you just <laughs> chose to retreat into your own corner and not help anybody. Um, there's a Louis CK quote where he says like, uh, I'm not a bad guy. I don't hurt anybody, but I don't help either. Yeah. You know, like he just, he just yeah. handles his business. Yeah. And then again, and this goes yeah. back to Moses and it goes back to a lot of people. It's so easy just to retreat into your corner. Like, uh, like, <sighs> not only do I, I don't know how to put this. I try to donate money to things when I can. Um, and like, I have this, like, I don't know what it is. It's not guilt because I, I take it, but I have like this weird thing about um, like money, getting money. Uh, mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel earned. And it used to be like, um, if I got like a, like I got like a, I, I'm going to sound like a fucking asshole when I say this, but I got like a fairly small inheritance from my grandma when she died, but I'm a grandkid. I'm not supposed to get the inheritance. And anyway, I didn't want it. Like um, there's 13 grandkids and they all got something and it was nice to get something, but like that, like, I don't, I don't care about the value of the money, but it felt so sure. weird to be collecting this like uh death payment almost. Like it was, yeah. yeah, it was almost more morbid than anything. And I don't know, I can't remember how much it was, but I just like took the check and I, I donated it. And that was, a good thing to do, but it was also like, I don't want this um, money particularly. And I'm in a position where I, I don't um, need it, but I've noticed that I, I see where like the greed and stuff comes in with some people because like I could do that. Now I get these bonuses from work and it's like, okay, I could take that and I could go like here, just take my bonus and donate it. It's all just on the top of what I expected to make. Like, but now with a wife and a kid, it's like, Oh, what if something happens to us? Like maybe I should put that away and save it. It's like just like it's yeah. so easy to retreat into that corner of like 
I am not going to do bad things, but I am also not going to use my platform to do anything extraordinary or I'm going to talk myself into the things that I'm doing are already extraordinary and I don't need to do any more. And like, you know, it's, it's such an well, it's easy like, impulse to hear, get into. When you hear, um, where was I going with this? Like, do you think that it's, like, do you think it's wrong? Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that though, to, to do it in the, in the name of uh, like you're trying to provide and make sure that you're secure for your family. I don't think that, I think it, one of the things that I've, I've learned in recent years is you definitely have to, you have to make sure that your room is clean before you go and try to clean other people's rooms. If yep. that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to, you, you can't like, if your house is a mess, how do you expect to help clean other people's, uh, other people's uh, you know, right. dirty laundry. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like, it, and I, but I get like, again, like when you, it, when it, this conversation is a bit, is a slippery slope. Cause when it says like, Oh, you know, it, 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 it always becomes a, a competition of, you know, who, who sacrificed the most and like who, who gave the most, it, it always comes to like that kind of competition. And that's why that, that kind of stuff is, yeah, I, I don't, I, I try not to engage in that sort of stuff just because it, it is, uh, it, it can, it can get, I don't know. They can get a little uncomfortable for me sometimes, especially when you bring money into the equation. So mm-hmm. I, I totally get what you mean where it's just like, yeah, the impulse, like it is very easy to just like say, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to help myself. Like, it, it, it sounds selfish to say that you're going to help yourself, but I mean, like you said, you have a wife and a kid that you got to look after, right? So yeah, and if you walk through the world taking on everybody's pain, you like wouldn't make it through the day. Like you do, you just have to no, like, yeah. shut off somewhat. Like you, you can't, um, you can't take on everything. One thing I try to do, and I, I, I guess the question is whether it's it, the act is like good in itself, or whether it's the intention behind it that's good. Because like I've mm. donated money. Um, at times just to have, not just to have, I was also donating the money and I was doing it for the cause, but I could have donated it anonymously and I didn't like you want your name mm-hmm. on the thing or like when the black lives matter thing, this last couple of years or last couple of months started taking off again, people kept posting screenshots of their, um, I donated to this charity and then they'd scrub yeah. out the amount. Yeah. And I was like, why would you scrub out the amount? Like if it's, $20 and you don't think it's enough and you're ashamed, do more or don't brag about donating when you're not comfortable with the exactly. number. So like when I exactly. donated, I, I attached the, I, I didn't scrub it out. I just left the, the number on it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I get, again, the attention is good. You're donating to something and somebody who needs money at the same time, it's only a hundred dollars. And then that was the extent of my activism. I posted a black square right. and I donated a hundred dollars. It's like, like, Great. But then it's like, oh, it, but then it's like, oh, well, I I did that and went to a protest. Did you go to a protest? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Like, well, did, did you buy this T-shirt? And that's that's where that's yeah. what I mean. It, it becomes a it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's 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 not that I think I'm better than that, or and I know there are people that are are better than than me. But like I just like I guess going back to um like the the Moses part of it is like the they like I said, they, they rounded them out. Like there's a reluctance to like accepting this huge weight. It was like, just leave me to my sheep and leave me alone. It was like, I'm fine now. Like I don't want any of this stuff. And it's like to get called up to do something bigger and then rising to that problem is every movie. Um, but again, like I said, this is like the, he's not just responsible for himself. It's hundreds of thousands of people that are in slavery that he has the opportunity to free and still wants to say like, 
I, it's not your, you picked the wrong person, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I know I can, and I know you're God, but I don't want to do this. It seems really hard. Um, and you think, you, know, you think that's a better, you think in the end though, that, that sort of ambivalence is a better character trait to assign, to assign a responsibility like that to somebody like that versus somebody who is actively seeking like he, like Moses would have been a better candidate to be, to fill that role than somebody who is raising their hand saying, I want to be the savior of all these, of all the, yeah. You, like I said about the president, you have to question why yeah. they're doing it. And um, like, and like, and like I said, like they did with Ramses and the other characters where they're doing terrible things, but they're rationalizing them in a way that doesn't seem insane. Um, mm-hmm you know like he is he's sort of doing the the opposite he's like i don't want to do this like it's not for me i don't think i i can i don't want to try and fail like whether or not it's the right condition for somebody to do something like that um it's not it's not that reluctance is necessarily a good character trait but um it it does make somebody seem way more more human um it's not mm-hmm. this like hero born to be a hero predestined yeah like it's even for yeah it's it's deep questions for a kids movie like um you know do you if you're doing good because you want to be someone who does good are you really doing good like <laughs> You know, like it's like, like if you want to be, if you have like your image is tied up in how people view you as a benevolent person, is like, is that really doing? Like, are you is doing it selfish it, or? Yeah, like, is it? Are you doing it because you actually want to do good, or is it like a? Is it more transactional? Are you trying? Are you expecting something good in return for it, or like yeah, I, praise or or reward? Yeah, like uh, yeah, just to be like recognized, I guess, in a way, like you know, yeah. The, and it's like, and, or do you actually and, care about, do you actually care about it? Yeah. That's it's, yeah. yeah and, it's a, I think it's, it's not always clear for, for certain people. Well, and that was the thing. And one of the things that drove me crazy always about the relay for life was that was like something I was personally invested in. And then to see it erupt into personality conflicts and like, yeah, just yeah. stuff like that, that was yeah. like, that was the wedge that like, not to put it too strongly, but with certain people never healed like that was like that they kept coming back. We continued to be friends for a certain amount of time. I don't speak to many of those people anymore, not out of maliciousness, just I, everybody's moved on, but that was like, uh, like this black lives matter stuff is not personal to me. Like I, I believe in it and I think it's a good cause and I support it and like do more and everybody has the responsibility to do more and take a look at yourself, but it's not personal in the same way that the cancer fundraising was. And I know the feeling when people didn't take it completely seriously or it devolved into whatever. And it's like, it's just like, you lose the the attention or the focus. Oh, that's such a man. That's really cool that you were able to kind of make that link because that I can understand that frustration a little bit more clear now. Because yeah, 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 when you hear when you hear as you know, Black Lives Matter was going, and then you start hearing people spell, "Oh, all lives matter." It's like, oh, okay, that's yes, yeah, it's true. Intentionally but missing the point. We're, ha- we're not. Yeah. That's not the conversation we're having with now, people. <laughs> yeah, and that I guess that my point was that was a case where I was like legitimately trying to do good and to watch yeah. other people respond the same way that I have maybe responded to the Black Lives Matter thing. Sucks to be the person who 
it's personal <laughs> too, you know? So I guess that's the thing like Boses has to balance is like, he's free and he's not enslaved and his wife and his family aren't enslaved. He, well, I guess it's two of his family is um, still there, but like, He's taken care of. He's fine. Like uh, he goes back to Egypt, him and Zipporah go back as free people. Like they have their, their freedom and he has these people who he technically belongs to their group, but he's out, you know, like he, he's, he's free. Um, and he could just leave it at that. It's like, Oh, well that's just the way the yeah. world works. Like it's a terrible place, but like, what can you do? Like, uh, you know, and, and there's a bit of that, but then he ultimately like rises to it and, uh, gets it done yeah so no it's a again it's a good way one. too complicated for a kid's movie but um <laughs> yeah do you this, think this stuff, like but, i remember but that's why i can watch it like that's why i like it i showed it to high school classes and like um it, it, this is almost the perfect emblem of what my impetus for starting this movie or this podcast with you was was like of course I like watching um, the movies and I like actually talking about the the movies and this scene was cool and that shot was cool and the special effect and the acting like that stuff is also really interesting. But I think what makes these things continue to stick around is like, I'm talking about morality and souls and all of this stuff. And, and it's a, it's yeah. a cartoon musical and it's like, it doesn't well, have to be cool that, but you can, you've made it that. It's cool. And you can yeah draw those kind of interpretations and, uh, you know, I think I think you and I probably are more interested in in you know movies and dissecting them more than the average person. But that's you know it's it, exactly as you said. Like that's the reason why you know these like having a forum like a podcast in order to you know talk about it. It's 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 like it's almost like it's its own form of journaling almost, and it's you can get these thoughts that kind of cross your head. Like like I look at the notes that I wrote for Princess Mononoke, and it's just like a you know it's like it's, it's like brain brain vomit it's just like it just yeah. comes it just comes pouring out because it, yeah, it's just yeah, one yeah. thing after another you just make connection after connection because you're totally right yeah we, were, we went from talking about you know the prince of egypt to you know talking about how you know the black lives matter movement and yeah and being able to and it, it's fun to kind of like it, it maybe it's a bit pretentious for people listening to hear us like spout off about this kind of stuff but it, for me it's a lot of fun to sort of make the, those kind of connections and you know, this one, this week in particular was interesting because we took what are on the surface, you know, products that are for children, but I mean, they definitely are um, very mature in their, in their subtext. Like, and that, the proof of that is like, I remember watching actually the Prince of Egypt way back in the day when it first came mm-hmm. out when I was a kid yep. and I enjoyed it for what it was, you know, just kind of like a, an animated film. But then, yeah, again, just watching it more recently, like last year as, you know, an almost 30 year old man, um, I appreciated it on a much different level, but way, way more viscerally than, than I ever did when I was a kid. And yeah, it's actually and... one of the interesting things is like how, like when I was thinking earlier today about things that I wanted to talk about tonight or, you know, this morning for you, um, it's just funny, like, yeah, sitting in my apartment as an almost 30 year old man, you know, going in such depth to, again, these, you know, these these animated movies and that's why i think it's important that i'm glad we kind of made the distinction between you know an animated film is not always a kid's movie and vice versa you know it's and again just repeating what i said earlier it's it's easy to to kind of conflate the two yeah and and i hate the minions more than just about anything (laughs) and it because it's see and I, i haven't even seen the movies but it seems like their only purpose and i guess it's like the porgs or those 
birds on the island you were talking about. Yeah. It seems like their only purpose yeah. is to be like eye candy and cute and draw people. Oh, in. And, and if that's and what animation toys, is, yeah. I don't like it. Um, but yeah. uh, when it's something like this, where it does, it's, it almost may as well not be animated um, because it's exactly. just another, yeah. it's just another vessel for it to be like a, something to think about. Like, I don't know how much research I would have done about, this stuff had I not watched the Prince of Egypt and like I could have watched Exodus gods and Kings with Christian Bale or whatever, but I don't (laughs) even think it was the same. Like it was, that was definitely a Hollywood one. And this one found a way to be appealing to kids while still walking a line of, um, you know, there's something here and it's like you, like you said about, again, about um, Kiki's delivery service, not necessarily princess Mononoke, but it's like, there's something about watching it and being old that it's like, you know, there's still something to this. It's like, I know it's a kid's movie and they're singing or it's like the fucking Corona, not Coronas, those forest animals. Yeah. right. It's like, yeah, like, of course there's some silly stuff on its surface, but like beyond the fact that it just looks cool is like, you know, there's some, actually something um, to it, you know, like it's able to talk for two hours about it. Yeah. Well, I'll just repeat again, kind of what I was saying, what was so cool about both the Prince of Egypt and Princess Mononoke is, you know, if you watch a, a you know, a more, more modern animated movie that came out like Shrek, there are specific moments in the film that are for adults and specific moments in yeah. the film that are for children. Whereas again, just referencing, you know, Kiki's delivery service again, the, the things that, uh, that an adult would watch versus a child versus a child watching, it's the same thing on screen, but, two different interpretations. The kid will like watching Kiki's delivery service because it's a fun animated movie about this, you know, this child witch going about her day, but then an adult will watch the exact same thing, but then take away from it something different. There's like all that experience of, of growing up and moving out for the first time. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool that it's able to have those multiple meanings and it's not actually just like explicitly reserving moments for adults and explicitly reserving moments for, for children. And I think both movies do that really well. Um, And it's, it's, it's a, I think it, it's people take it for granted and um, and people may not take it as seriously because of because it's animated and they just immediately sort of write it off as a, as a kid's movie. And me included as a general rule, but there's obviously exceptions. And I guess just what you meant about the Kiki's delivery services, we'll watch the same scene and I'll sit and think about the last 10 years of my life and Vivian will grab our broom and start running around the apartment. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's, right. it's, it's, there's something, something for, for everybody. <laughs> <laughs>